Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scott's Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello. Each episode will invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, oh what a great back And this week our guest is founding member and guitarist of the Inspiral Carpets, Graham Lambert. Welcome Graham, thanks for joining us. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Big fan of the uh, the Twitter page, obviously um, very good very good work and uh, yeah, pleased to be uh, joining you for uh, for this Shoot the Breeze. Well, thank you, I appreciate you saying that as well and absolutely great to have you on. Uh, we've, we've interacted for, for many years and uh, we've, we've also... Shit, like I've uh, managed to get you a copy of the old shoot magazine that you were in, which you you had mislaid or something. Is that correct? Yeah, I've I I did have it in my archive, and, and I did find the original copy the other day. But yeah, you, you kind of sent me a pristine copy as well. I might have. <laughs> um, we did a photo shoot when Oldham reached the Littlewoods Cup final in April '90. We did a photo shoot on the pitch, mm-hmm. uh, the, all the spiral carpets and four or five of the Oldham players and. Uh, for me, obviously, it was a big day for me. We went to the final a few days later, which we sadly lost 1-0. But, uh, yeah, good memories. And thanks for sending the magazine through. No, you're more than welcome. We'll maybe touch on that a little bit later on, if that's OK. Absolutely, yeah. So, so we've picked you out a shoot magazine from the 11th of May, 1991. And as we do, we'll start from the front. And it's Mark Hughes on the front. And he's challenging for a ball with a Sheffield Wednesday player. And the face is out of shot, so I don't think we can we can name who that is. Uh, the Wednesday player is a good handful of Mark's shirt, although it does look as though he's got the better of his opponent in this situation. So on the front it says, Go for it United, and that's the heading with the subheading of Man United versus Barcelona, European Cup Winners' Cup Final, Souvenir Special. Brian McClare looks on blurrily, and it's an Adidas kit that they're wearing, and there's a very small Football League logo on Hughes's arm, and it's not even taking up the width of the three Adidas stripes. Now, so obviously this is before the Premiership, and it's just it's unusual to see, firstly, the, the Football League emblem on there as well, but the fact is that nowadays it takes up almost the whole arm, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it does. I'd, I'd take a guess that was shot from Wembley. Would that be from Wembley when they played at the Littlewoods Cup final in 91? Yeah, it could well be, yeah. Uh, I'm just guessing when Sheridan scored the winner, which uh, obviously Sheffield Wednesday legend and went on to play for Oldham again. Mm-hmm. But uh, great, great player, great guy. Great stuff. So just other things on the, the front page. It says, Graham, I'm ready for soonest. So this is about Arsenal boss George Graham as he sets uh, out a warning to new Liverpool manager Graham soonest. And there's also a free gift. Now in the top left-hand corner of the page, it says free gift issue. Now, further down the page, the, the version I've got, we've got here, we can see evidence of where this free gift would have been as there is a mark where something yeah. would have been taped onto the page. Now, underneath it, where the gift would have been is the text, not available to overseas players. 
So I'm unlucky to the Australia and Germany who are the other countries that are that are specified with I, I have missed out and I normally say this it's 55 pence I normally say the price as well now when I was looking at that not available to overseas readers I looked at the Sheffield Wednesday play, players uh, boot and it looks like a mitre but we're trying to dis- so if you look at the heel part of it it looks as though there's a tongue on the heel can you zoom in on that a little bit Tom Is that yeah okay? yeah I can see what you're saying see, yeah. so I'm not sure if that's maybe came away from the boot or if it's just something on there, it's, it's unusual. I've never seen anything that has like a tongue. High tech, on... it looks like. Is it high tech? Yeah, is, is it on? Is it on the other boots? Can you see the other boot in shot? No, I think it's sort of hidden oh, by it's the undercover. Isn't it? It's hidden yeah. by the yeah. yeah. Mm. So I need to check that and see if there's a, a make a boot which has a tongue at the back. I can't imagine what what the need would be for that because the tongue yeah. is to cover the the laces, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it, it, there was some, some unusual things from from when I played. Um, there was nothing like that on boots, and mm. there was a few frills that were unnecessary. Like, look <laughs> at the length of Yuzi's tongue on his boots; that just looks unnecessarily long, doesn't it? Yeah. Just uh, looking at page three in the magazine, we can we can see not not just yet, but from that we can see that the free gift was actually a pack of pro set football cards. So that that's All what right. would have been on the front there. Um, obviously taken off and, and used and abused by whoever had this magazine. On the front page as well, at the top, it says, Vote for your player of the year. So should allow the readers to vote for the most exciting player of the year, obviously by calling a premium rate number to select their option. Nothing like the older yeah. days. It used to be a, you send in a coupon and it would be the cost of a stamp, but it will be 38 pence, uh, 45 pence or something like that as well. That yeah. The other thing on the page is down at the bottom is all or nothing. So it's Rangers alert for Don's danger. So the Rangers and Aberdeen badges are displayed in this section along with that text. The magazine itself takes a look at the upcoming title decider between the two teams. So Aberdeen and Rangers went into the final game on the 11th of May when this magazine was. Actually, the winner takes all. So whoever won that game won the title. Now, just again, on, on the 11th of May, so this would have come out probably on the thir- Wednesday or Thursday. So the 11th of May is a Saturday, so it would have come out a few days before then. So we're on to pages two and three, and this is, sorry, Sunis, Arsenal will be the team of the 90s. So Arsenal manager George Graham believes the arrival of Graham Sunis at Anfield can take championship rivals Liverpool back to the heights. But it's a warning for his new title challenger. He says, you're not going to get above us because I aim to establish Arsenal as the team of the 90s. Now, Arsenal are looking to wrap up this season championship as they take on Coventry City on the coming Saturday. Now, Arsenal would go on to beat them 6-1 and finish the season seven points ahead of Liverpool. Now, interestingly, they'd also been deducted two points after a mass brawl with Man United players earlier in the season. So I think oh, yeah. that, I that you know finishing seven points ahead and having deducted two points is quite a quite a margin. Yeah. Now Graham says Graham's arrival has given Liverpool a boost, but while his arrival has made a difference at Liverpool, it hasn't made any difference here. Like most successful people, he's very single-minded. He's got drive, ambition, and ruthlessness. On Arsenal season, Graham says our record this season is incredible: one defeat in all our league games so far. Nobody would have dreamed of that when the season began. You want consistency, and we've got it. We've got the best youth policy in Britain, and that is the base on which we will build Arsenal's future. I think we'll be challenging for all the honours in the next four years. 
I'm also looking forward to European competition. The new Premier League will certainly make our top clubs a lot stronger in the challenge for European honours. Now, just as a wee spoiler, George Graham was manager for Arsenal until February 1985, and they would win the League Cup and FA Cup in season 92-93 under Graham, and the UEFA Cup in the season 93-94. But they wouldn't win the league title again until 97-98 under Arsene Wenger. However, Soonest would win the FA Cup with Liverpool in season 91-92, which was the season that they were talking about was just coming up. So, do we have any recollection from the time of, you know, Soonest coming to Liverpool and challenging George Graham's Arsenal? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> uh, I remember just to go back a couple of years before that, though, the, the showdown of the 88-89 season um was when Arsenal won two 0 at Liverpool was was amazing. That, that yeah. they reran the game recently on TV and I've watched that game several times because I've got a DVD of it, the highlights and there's an amazing game and it, it just signified the end of of Liverpool's reign from the seventies and the eighties um, and other teams like Arsenal taking over initially and then Man United. But I think when Liverpool brought Sooners back, it just had that feeling, did it, where they were going to bring back one of the old boys and try and retain or get back on the successful ladder, which lasted, you know, like, like you said, he won a couple of FA Cups, but it, it didn't quite happen as much as they would have hoped. I don't think really for Liverpool, you know, they weren't, they didn't become the dominant force that they once were. They didn't regain that, did they? I don't remember the end of the 91 season. I don't remember. Uh, you, you said they beat Coventry on, on the final day. Yeah. 6-1. 6-1 yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't remember that at all. That's, but that, that's a big margin to to end winning the league on. And, uh, you know, George Graham was famous for 1-0 down, 2-1 up, weren't they? Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, I remember talking to a, an Arsenal player who came to one of the festivals we were doing one year. Um, in fact, it was Tim Sherwood who knew George Graham from when George Graham was a manager at Spurs. And he said, George doesn't bother about entertaining people. He's just in the results business. And I thought that's mm. a, great, a great quote. That yeah. He was in the, the business of just getting results and he didn't care if he won 1-0. He just didn't care about entertaining people. But uh, yeah, good, good days these, because Arsenal, they had a good team. And Liverpool, they were they were trying to replace all those legends who'd been brilliant over the years. But, but they didn't really, did they? They had a lot, they spent a lot of money, but didn't really retain or replace Barnes and Beardsley and even going as far back as McDermott and people like that. Mm. I think you're talking about that Liverpool-Arsenal game and yeah, I totally agree with you. What, what a fantastic finish that was. And, you know, people talk about the Man City when they, I think they won the first title again and yeah. how that was the greatest end to a, a Premier League or an English League um, season. And I think that Liverpool-Arsenal one was that because that was... Yeah. Winner takes all. Yeah, it's because was... it was effectively a cup final. Yeah, yeah, uh, and also the, the season had been extended because of, because of Hillsborough. Yeah, uh, and it was played on a Friday night, and and very rarely it was it was on live, and it was yeah. also live in Scotland. The SFA would I always blocked live football, but for some reason we, we got that game live, and uh, Friday night. So I, I remember it being a big occasion, even just yeah. just up here as well. And there's a good documentary about it as well. I watched recently, eighty uh, nine. Which is kind of uh, based on uh, Amy Lawrence's book, because um, right. there's a book that's basically interviews all the Arsenal players, and that's what the, the documentary is as well. It's basically all the Arsenal players and fans talking about it, 
just really, just really interesting. Again, Graham sets out his tactics and all that kind of stuff. You know, so it's interesting what you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It was amazing because both teams would have either one of those two teams would have won the league that night. Liverpool could could still win the league if they lost one nil. Yeah. But Arsenal won two nil, and on the backdrop of that absolute, you know, terrible situation of Hillsborough, um, that it was just it was just so emotional and so amazing. Um, can you remember where you were both where you both were that night watching it? Yeah, I was just in the house watching it. You and my dad. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, we just played, uh, we, we were quite small, but kind of rising up at the time. Yeah. We just supported the shaman at Yulu in London. And because mm-hmm. we supported, we were on early. So I went and found the student bar while the shaman were on and watched the full second half, stood on a chair at the back of this bar. And when um, Thomas mm-hmm. scored that goal, who then went on to play for Liverpool. Play for Liverpool did, yeah. did he Did he go the following season or the year after? Um, I think he was, he was a soonest by, eh? So, yeah. Uh, so he might have had one more season at yeah, Arsenal, yeah. but it was amazing that he then went on to play for Liverpool. Just the whole thing is just, I don't know, just, can you imagine being a Liverpool player that day when 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 uh, McMahon was tapping his wrist for him? He said, yeah, one yeah. minute, one yeah, minute, yeah, yeah. and it was still 1-0. Oh, I mean, I still get goosebumps now. <laughs> like, you know, I watched yeah, it back was... the other day and it was on TV. And just, I I John know, Barnes just... takes it down, still just going at the corner flag, he... Tries dribbles and tries to get a, get a cross in. That's and right. Win the ball back. Yeah. And, then and, and even, you know, you know, we've all played football, haven't we? We've all watched football for years. We've all watched probably pretty basic standard football, I certainly yeah. have. And and the challenges and the run of the ball to, to get through for, for Thomas to actually score that goal, there was like three challenges where it was like, the chances of him getting the ball was 10 to 1 or something. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. a 1 in 10 chance of get, getting through those three challenges. And uh, it's up for grabs now. Yeah, yeah um, it's great. It's these moments as well, just with the, the, with the commentary, it just sticks just yeah. sticks to the pictures, you know. That and, becomes as iconic as the, as the goal kind of thing. Yeah. Again, and, in that documentary, I think Lee Dixon plays the ball forward. Right? He said he was just knackered and he just yeah. booted the ball forward. <laughs> he, was, he was going to take but he just launched it forward and it got knocked yeah. forward. Brilliant. Amazing. Um, yeah, so anyway, just going back to, to this article in the picture, is that Paul Merson who needs uh, a bit of a waxing? Yeah, that does, <laughs> certainly looks like him. Uh, yeah. And who, who, yeah. who who's that it's, he's climbing on? Is it Ablett? It's Gary Ablett, yeah. yeah Gary yeah. Ablett, by the look yeah. of it to me. Great, great so, catch again. I mean, the, the Arsenal one's your classic Arsenal, but the Liverpool one, I wouldn't maybe normally be a huge fan of like say, the design on there but it just works it just works for me that the sort of I don't know if it's arrows or um like little oh, mount, the, little uh, mountains or something but on the shirt yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's just when um <clears throat> where, where were we in kit well that the the girish kits of the did they come a little bit after that was you remember when David Seaman had all those mad colored goalie tops um I think that was just coming into it then, wasn't it? Well, yeah. Arsenal's kits, that, that's a classic Adidas take, modern Adidas take on the old retro strip, isn't it? The Arsenal strip it. Yeah. It, it works for me, that Arsenal kit. I really like that Arsenal kit. Uh, growing up as a kid with Liverpool in the 70s, you just I was just used to Liverpool away kit being white top with a red collar and cuffs, yeah. black shorts yeah. and red socks. Do you both remember that yeah. kit? Definitely, nice and nothing fancy to it. Just no. cl- classic, classic. 
clean, brilliant. But quite tasty. And then they went to All Yellow a kit where they played Man United in the FA Cup semi of 79. All Yellow kit, which yeah, is yeah. a bit odd, a bit odd for Liverpool. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, um, talking to two guys from north of the border, um, Scottish managers in English football. Yeah. Yeah, it's changed days Amazing. from that, isn't it? But um, I mean, two two good, really good ones as well. You know, that have earned their stripes. You know, quite. Yeah. We we get Scottish managers coming down to maybe the the championship if we're lucky at the moment, and but yeah. a lot of them don't seem to stay very long and maybe come back up. So that's the same way. The footballers have went that way as well, I guess. But it's, it seems to be getting a little bit better. Like uh, um, Andy Robertson going down, Kieran Tierney. So, you yeah. know, there is nothing like the conveyor belt that there used to be, but um, there, there does seem to be an improvement in the quality, yeah, which is good. Some, Biggins have been successful or, or done well with the clubs they were with, obviously Ferguson, but, you know, Strachan, you know, was pretty good at Leeds, wasn't he? And he managed Coventry for a while as well, didn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, some, some, you know, not world-beating players, but, but actually really good uh, club managers, absolutely, you know, yeah. brilliant club managers. Listen, we'll move on to pages four and five yeah. here. So this is the we spoke about briefly on the front page. So it's all yours, Rangers. So this is the it says Scotland Stars are backing the men from Ibrox. So there's a few players who discuss the game that's coming up between Rangers and Aberdeen. So the article says Scotland is stealing itself for a collision of earthquake proportions on Saturday. <laughs> I know it's a bit it's a bit much, isn't it? When Aberdeen travel to Ibrox to meet Rangers in the Premier League showdown. And the stars of the Scottish game are backing Rangers to hold their nerve and seal the title crown in front of their own fans. Now, shoot talk to a number of players to get their verdict on this match. And the players are Paul McStay of Celtic, Maurice Malpass of Dundee United, Murdo McLeod of Hibs, Fraser Wishart of St Mirren, Andy Rhodes of Dunfermline Athletic, Alan Moore of St Johnson, David Cooper Motherwell and John Colquhoun of Hearts. So quite a few of them to get through. Now, when the, the two sides last met on March 2nd, Aberdeen trailed Rangers by eight points. Defeat at Pataudry that day would have put Rangers out of reach, but a last-minute winner by Hans Heelhouse kept the title alive, and since then, the Dons have chipped away at the lead. Now, I'll say at this point, because there's a couple of statements that are made by a few of the players which seem to be incorrect in terms of what the situation was. So Aberdeen, on the last day, were actually a point ahead of Rangers, and they were, I think there were two goals better off as well. So all they had yeah. to do was was draw, draw the yeah. game. So, But there's a couple of the players who actually suggest that Rangers were in the driving seat, which you know I, I, I stand to be corrected on, but I don't think that was the case. So no. the first one was Paul McStay, and he says, They are evenly matched and I can't separate them. As long as Graham Souness's departure hasn't affected them deeper, then we've seen it's difficult to see Rangers losing. He goes for Rangers. So just on that, how long before this, Tom, was it that Souness actually, because Souness came, he left Rangers and joined Liverpool. How, how Was it three or four games before or was it just that uh, game? It was, it was about April or something like yeah. that. It wasn't wasn't long. Yeah. Right. Bit, bit, bit of an odd time to leave, wasn't it, that? Yeah. yeah. It's very, very I suppose strange. Your, your dream job comes up, eh? It's like... Yeah. Yeah. Plus, yeah, but you would think it would stay open for him till the close season, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so Walter Smith, Walter Smith took over the running the Rangers. He was his number two at Rangers anyway, yeah. so he took took over for the end of uh, the season. Paul McStay is going for Rangers. Morris Malpass says, if they were level, I'd take Aberdeen, 
But you've got to opt for Rangers because they are in front and I'd rather be in their shoes, Verdict Rangers. So that's me saying that they weren't in front. So I think, yeah. I think Morris is, you know, I hope he never put a bet on for that one. Although actually, I hope he did because he was right. Uh, Murder McLeod, uh, he says, Rangers are over the hardest hurdles on the running and they won't mess it up now. The best thing for Rangers to do is attack. It would be a mistake to sit back. So he goes for Rangers as well. Fraser Wishart says, Rangers have faltered recently and aren't scoring as many goals. On their day, Aberdeen are the best team in the country and they no longer fear going to Ibrox. So he goes for Aberdeen. Andy Rhodes, he go, he says, Rangers have been in a situation before and won't slip up. Former Oldham, uh, former Oldham goalie. Yeah, he's Dunfermline at the time. Yeah, but he's. Yeah. I, I always, I always really liked him as a goalkeeper. I thought he was yeah. really good. I think there was a, there was a time. Maybe I'm confusing this, but was there a time that we're trying to get him as a Scotland goalkeeper, Tom? Quite possibly. That... He uh, he dropped the ball enough to be a Scottish keeper. <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> dear me. <laughs> Sorry, the old ones are the best ones. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. We got his son. Yeah, his, his son Jordan. Jordan, Scott, yeah, international. Uh, so, he played for Scotland. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Not yeah, played good, for good. not played for a, a number of years, right enough, but I. Mm. Yeah, good finisher. Yeah, yeah. but uh, played for Blackburn and Huddersfield down here. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't think he ever. I don't think he ever transferred it to. Well, he obviously didn't transfer that sort of goal scoring because he was he was prolific, wasn't he? But yeah. the international level, and I think he was, you know, probably slated a lot for that from the fans. But um, I'm possibly thinking maybe maybe there was a shout for him when he was at the Fairland for him to become the the England man the England manager the England goalkeeper. So maybe that's what I'm thinking about rather than because Scotland would have had you know Gorham and another Oldham, ex yeah. Oldham goalkeeper great, as well. Great so. keeper, yeah. Bit of a bit crazy, but a great keeper. Yeah. So Alan Moore is saying Rangers will play it tight and I think they'll actually win the match. So he goes for Rangers. David Cooper says Rangers are in the driving seat and you can't see them not remaining there. But someone will have to stifle my old mate, Jim Bett. He never did himself justice at Ibrox, but he's playing brilliantly just now. So he goes for Rangers. So the last one to, to give his opinion is John Cohen. And he says Aberdeen are one team that can win at Ibrox. They're on a roll and they just don't think that they can lose. So he goes for Aberdeen. So who, who would have been Aberdeen manager at the time? It was Alex Smith. Alex Smith. Alex Smith was the manager then. And Alex who, sorry? Alex Smith. All right, okay. Yeah. I noticed uh, McLeish is in the lineup there, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Alex yeah. McLeish. Yeah. So so as a spoiler, Rangers would win the two the game two 0 with both goals coming from Mark Hately. So okay. it was right. At the end of the day, I don't. I think Aberdeen maybe didn't really turn up as much as they hoped they would of that game. There was there was a bit of um, bit of blame I think put on the Aberdeen keeper who was what was it, Michael? What was his name Michael again? Watts. Michael Watts. Watts. But, but, Watts. but he, I think some people blamed him for not saving the Mark Hately goals, but certainly one of them I, I think was what one of the better headers that you'll see in a game. Mark Haley could get right. up for headers, absolutely. And he scored yeah. an absolute cracker. And Michael Watt was full stretch and couldn't get to it. So I think people have been a bit unfair that day. Yeah, there's uh, Terry Herlock in the Rangers team. He could um, he could leave his footing, couldn't he? Yeah, Nigel Spackman behind him as well. And Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a bit of a bit of brawl there, isn't there? And uh, John Brown as well. I don't remember him at all. I don't remember John Brown. We only played up in Scotland, so Rangers in D. But right. 
I have said this on my podcast before, but John Brown was the first guy I noticed at corners who, who didn't look at the ball. He just marked yeah. the man. Yeah. Just set the man out. Yeah. And uh, Mark Walters, uh, winger there, great player. He, he played for Liverpool, didn't he? Great player. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ian Durant, skillful player. Okay. So we're going to move on to page six. That's, yep. And it's Chelsea Choker. So, yeah. so even just, I mean, we're in the page six, and I like to point this out. So far, it's not as if I'm picking things simply because they're Scottish, but so far in the, the pages we've looked at, there's a lot of, okay, there's, there's a bit of English football, but there's a lot of Scottish people in there, a lot of Scottish players in there, and now yeah, we've got is. Gordon Jury at Chelsea, so we had Sunis and Graham, we've had the Aberdeen Rangers game, and, you know, change days. If, if, if there was a magazine out nowadays covering British football, then you certainly wouldn't expect to see this amount of Scottish people being uh, being featured in it. Yeah, I think if it was a highbrow colour magazine covering the top division, there wouldn't be mu- there wouldn't be many English players in there. I would have thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So Chelsea choker now Jury wants to go. So this is unsettled first division Chelsea striker Gordon Jury looks set to quit Stamford Bridge in the summer after admitting perhaps I've been here too long. He still has three years left of his current contract to run and he says, there's not much point staying if I'm not playing on a regular basis. Now, Jury has become disillusioned with the inconsistency of Chelsea as well as him being moved from his favoured striking role. He was dropped for a couple of games before being recalled for a game against Nottingham Forest when they lost 7-0. So that's not a great reintroduction back into the side. And he says, I really thought this was going to be our season, but it's all going wrong. I can't understand it. We've signed some quality players and there are so many good youngsters coming through. He has been playing for Scotland, which has come as a welcome boost to the player. And he says, I can't really say at this stage where I'll be next season. It's just a case of waiting to see what happens over the next few weeks. So as a spoiler, Jury moved to Spurs in August of 1991. And he spent a couple of years there before moving north to Rangers. After that, he finished his career at Hearts. So we've got a photograph of him there, and it's it's a blue and white photograph. Uh, the Chelsea Commodore strip is being chased by. Is that Southampton? I think that's Southampton yeah. player there as I well. I can't tell. Yeah, I think that is. So Gordon Jury, yep. So we'll move on to page seven, which is just across across the page, and this is an advert, and it's Sport Rendezvous Home Shop. And this is a full-page colour advert for a number of various football strips and tracksuits. They have the full England set of home, away and third kit, as well as two goalkeeper kits. There's quite a lot to keep you interested there. Scotland has a home and away keeper and player shirt. And the away shirt is up, for me, the away shirt of Scotland there is up there with one of the Scotland's worst shirts. I think I've got that away top for some reason. We got given a lot of free (laughs) gear at uh, JD Sports. and because of the band and stuff, and I, yeah. and I chose that Scotland away top. I've got it somewhere in the attic. I don't think um, I ever wore it for anything particular, but uh, maybe for gardening or something. <laughs> but, uh, it's a crazy top, isn't it? Crazy. And the, the point I'm making is ironic because it's probably the same design, you know, the the, the cut and the, the design of the kit is the, the, the blue one, the home one, which is great, but it, this flashing on it, so it's, it's blue and red flashed sort of yeah. lightning thing on it. And so it's, uh, it's, 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 it's just strange that changing these colours and making a little bit of a, you know, visual change to it just changes it from a classic strip to 
an absolutely woeful one. Yeah, car crash. Yeah. yeah. So th- there are some other cracking kits here, and, and for me it was a great period. For we were talking about, you were touching on it earlier on, but this was a great period for kit design for me as well. Uh, there's the Rangers Admiral Home and Away kit and shell suits there, along with the Celtic yeah. Home Top, which is C.R. Smith one as well. Now, uh, the, the shell suits maybe weren't a great period for just life in general, uh, yeah, the shell suits things. But yeah, to be... It should come with their own fire certificates of them shell suits. <laughs> yeah. But you, yeah, the, there's the Arsenal one which you're talking about there. So you've got the the JVC, the home yeah. one, and the 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 yellow and would it been blue, yellow, D- and blue? dark blue, dark yeah, dark blue, blue shorts. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Good kits them Arsenal had it got it nailed well there. And just to the left of that, that classic Villa mm-hmm. shirt with the Mitre chest logo sponsor. That's the time when Villa were Villa did really well, didn't they? Around uh, soon, like mid nineties, they had quite a strong team. Villa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, um, I think, the Northern Ireland away kit is maybe a bit. Well, even the home kit, I'm not too. The one beside the Villa one, the, the home yeah, that's, one um, doesn't look yeah, particularly that's, great. Doesn't look so good, does it? No, no. Okay, so pages eight and nine. We're moving on here to cruise desk. So this is basically short news items. I'm going to pick out a couple of them, and one is Gaza gets the bird. So I just made a wee note that, given the nature of this news item, when we go through it, the heading is a little cringeworthy. But we'll get back yeah. to that. And so the article says Gaza has been ousted from his position as TV's most popular sporting personality by the country's leading women footballers. Gaza's soccer school, shown in Channel 4, attracted 1.9 million viewers, but was beaten into second place by the Mysol Women's FA Cup semi-finals, which was watched by just over 2 million. Now, the, f- the figure means that women's soccer is currently the most popular Channel 4 sport programme of the year. So, yeah, just, mm. you know, based based on that, if we go back to the, the title... You know, Gaza gets a bird. It's like not the most um, the most PC or clever thing to be saying these days. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, the, the magazine's what nearly thirty years old, so we we yeah. we have thankfully moved on from from those kind of days and those kind of mm. titles. But it is quite surprising to see this would be aimed at a reasonably younger audience, wouldn't it? This magazine, it's yeah. a bit uh, yeah, a bit unnecessary, isn't it? That yeah. title. I mean, one of the the interesting things, I mean, I said just over 1.9 million and just over 2 million, but it actually gives almost exact figures. So the, it's 1,956,000 viewers for Gaza and 2,005,000 for the women. And it's like, how how are they calculating these things? You know, you think, <laughs> round it up or round it down, you, don't, you know. Or if, yeah. if, 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 if you're going to be that sort of, Give that sort of level of. I want it to the actual number. I want. I want. Yeah. I want 123 or whatever on there as well. Yes. Also, the um, Mysil Women's FA Cup semi-finals. Uh, mm. Do you know what Mysil is? I don't. I don't. I, I maybe should have looked at that, Tom. No, I don't. Uh-huh. If I, if well, if I'm right, I had to be corrected. I'm sure Tom <laughs> will look it up as I'm speaking. I'm sure it's an athlete's foot powder, right. which is. Um, I only know that because I used to use it years ago, not for ages. Um, uh, that's that's a pretty dr- like dull thing to have sponsoring um, like a, a an up and coming angle of the sports um, kind of big tournament. Isn't it? Then, yeah. um, I don't think it was that big of a big of a um, item anyway. My little foot powder. Mm. Um, 
maybe maybe that's something to do. That was a wee, that's a wee task for us in the future is to find the most uh, embarrassing obscure yeah, sponsor sponsor for a for a tournament. I'm sure we'll yeah. come up with with plenty. But yeah, I'm Matt, pretty sure at Alden we've had some pretty average companies <laughs> sponsoring across the front of the shirts yeah, for yeah. sure. Or uh, probably not even giving us any money, but just like. Um, um, just giving us something in return for having the name on the shirt. Yeah, well, well, that also, was a deal, that was a deal. Clay Bank cut. We wet, wet, wet. Yeah, when wet, right. wet, wet with the sponsors and Clay Bank shirt, we never get any money for that. The idea was they thought we would sell an awful lot more shirts. Right, but, um, with it having wet, wet, wet on. Yeah, good yeah. thinking. And did it work? I think they did sell more shirts, but I don't know how. I, I you know I don't know how that beat a regular sponsor. I I, I remember that, and I thought that was really good i mean i'm not a fan of the music but i just thought it was actually a brilliant thing to do because obviously cloud bank they're not rangers or celtic but it was just a really good thing to do i thought yeah. that. I, I, th- I think i think one of the, the missed opportunities and you know maybe i'm wrong but this I, I, you know we should have been selling them at gigs and things like that as well and i don't necessarily think that happened so yeah you know, i think there was a it was a big market that we maybe should have went for and who knows we, we maybe go for that again and so just you know are we just a wee sneak preview maybe that we, we maybe well they don't know about it yet but I'm going to go and see if I can get Clay, the wet 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 to, to do the same again with Clyde Bank so fingers yeah, that'd crossed yeah that would be good that'd be good just on that um, that article as well about Gaza um, around this time wasn't Italian football on Channel 4 I think I think it was it was it was 93 it was when Gaza moved to Lazio I think ah, that's right. when it started I think Sky were doing it at that point with Martin right. Tyler I, I, I'm, I'm going. To, I'm going to maybe incorrectly correct you, um, because oh. I, I, I was at university in 1991, and the halls of residence. I remember on a Sunday going up to watch uh, the the football Italia on the TV. But you know, it may well be that, as you say, it was maybe Sky or maybe it was 1991, 91, 92. But certainly, it would have been yeah about this time because right. Gaza got injured at. In the '91 FA Cup final against Forest, didn't he? And yeah, then that's right, missed yeah. a full season, and then he, he, if I remember rightly, he didn't play for Spurs again. So he missed a full season. Yes, yeah, so I must have started at Lazio in what would have been September '93, and it was definitely on Channel Four when he started for Lazio, like you said, Tom. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah um, well, just looking up, Channel Four had it from 1992 right. to 2002. Okay, but uh, it, it was on B uh, B Sky B BSB from 1990. See, I actually remember, I think um, I had a video, to, I think a friend of mine maybe videotaped some as well, and I'll just keep, you know, because we, we didn't have a lot of football on the TV at the time, and I think no. I had a video with, with loads of games on it, or however many games and highlights, and I just kept watching it and watching it and watching it, so you wouldn't do that nowadays, you know, there's just so many different games on that you, you watch one once and that's it. Yeah. They, they were good though. Uh, do you remember as well when I think it was Eurosport around this time used to mm. show um, Argentinian league football? Yeah, I used to used to love that. I mean, I used to record it. it, was, it we we did a gig at the River Plate Stadium where they had the '78 World Cup final. We supported Paul Simon there in '91 around this time, and um, the it rained for the. It was like a festival over a weekend. It rained, and um, all the grass turned to mud and. Um, they, they had games the following Saturday because it was in the middle of their season or the following Sunday. And I remember watching it on Eurosport like the week later when we'd got home from Argentina. And uh, is it River Plate that play at the, uh, the, the stadium? And um, the, the, the 
had a league game and the pitch was bald because of the <laughs> fans had been on the pitch for, for the festival the weekend before, which I had played at. And I remember that time because I'm a big fan of the 1978 World Cup mm. uh, with the Argentinian team. I had a sweatshirt on. We did a photo shoot on the pitch before they opened the doors. And I took my sweatshirt off and rolled it up to a ball and scored in the net that Mario <laughs> Kempis scored in in 78, which is one of the highlights of my life. Yeah. Did the ticker tape come out of the... The yeah, well, the, the the other the rest of the band thought it was incredibly sad, but um, <laughs> in my own mind, ticker tape was flowing. Brilliant. So, just another one of these these little uh, short short uh, items is "You Silly Sud." So it's on the next page, and it says that it appears that the emotion of reaching the FA Cup final proved a little too much for Roy Keane. Brian Clough says Roy was in the bath next to me after the semi final win over West Ham, and I asked him who we were playing in the next round. And I'm not kidding. He told me the draw for the next round had not been made yet. <laughs> I said, I know I've never been to an FA Cup final before, but even I know we were playing Spurs at Wembley next week. <laughs> the question of that, why why would he ask the question? It's like, you know, yeah. unless unless maybe he, he knew he was a bit sort of dixy about these sort of things and he just wanted to wind him up a bit. It's a very strange one. Do you not think it's slightly odd that Brian Clough was having a bath <laughs> after managing yeah, the team in winning an FA Cup semi-final? I mean, what's he done to warrant having a bath? Uh, but yeah, those were different days sharing baths, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So further down, we've got Shannon to replace Boyd. So Motherwell were lining up Dundee's £300,000 rated Rob Shannon to replace Tom Boyd, who's poised to move south after the Scottish Cup final. Just as a wee spoiler, Boyd would move to Chelsea, where he spent just one season before returning to Scotland with Celtic. The other one is Graham's goof. So this is Graham soonest goofed with one of his comments shortly after r- arriving at Liverpool. While still at Rangers, Sooners complained about Alex Smith's comments about that Aberdeen needed the assistance of other other clubs to win the title. But when he arrived at Anfield, Sooners said that Liverpool need a little help from others if we are to win the championship. That's just typical football manager, football players, isn't it? You you say one thing at one club and the complete opposite the other, and just yeah, not. absolutely because it's all PR, isn't it? And they're paying the wages at the end of the day, aren't they? So you've got to uh, you've got to fly the flag, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we're on to tug of Warhurst. So Manchester's big two are set for a summer battle over Oldham's Paul Warhurst. He's unsettled at Boundary Park and is on the transfer list at his own request. Manager Joe Royal doesn't really want to lose him, but a bid of around £1 million may tempt him, particularly as he begins to build his side for the first division next season. So before we talk, I'll, I'll just have a little bit of a, a bio here for Paul. So he was born in September 1969 in Stockport in England, and his playing career started at Man City from 1987 to 88, but he didn't make any appearances there. Then he moved to Oldham, where he made 67 league appearances between 88 and 91. So he would move to Sheffield Wednesday in 1991, and he was there for two seasons, making 88 league appearances and scoring 18 goals. He would then move Blackburn Rovers, Crystal Palace, Bolton Wanderers, Stoke City, and then he went on a bit of a, a to and fro in Chesterfield, Barnsley, Carlisle United, Grimsby Town, Blackpool, Forest Green, Rovers, Wrexham, Barnet and Northwich Victoria. So the first few, the first between 88 and 98, you know, there was like three, four teams or something he played for. And then in a, a short spell, three, four years, it was 
maybe 10 or 12, maybe even more. Yeah. So Great player. Yeah. He, he got into the England squad, if I remember rightly, as a striker. For us, he was a centre-back or full-back. Um, really pacey, mm. really fast player. And when we had the AstroTurf, which, funnily enough, was the end, which we ripped it up at the end of the 91 season, so just when this magazine came out, uh, he never kicked a ball for us again after we got promoted to what was Division 1, which became the Premiership. Mm. Um, but um, he's the sort of player that we should have kept, really. But he went to Sheffield Wednesday for, I think, three quarters of a million and then yeah. went to Blackburn for 2.3 million 2. or something 3. like that yeah. and started playing up front and started scoring goals and got into the England squad. It, it might be in the England squad at Sheffield Wednesday, actually. It was. Great player. Great player. He was deployed as an emergency striker in the Sheffield Wednesday and scored 12 goals in as many games. Although yeah. he was primarily a defender, he was called up to the England squad as a striker, but he was injured and missed the chance of a cap. So he, oh. he did get eight under 21 caps, but he never did get a full cap for England. And as you say, he moved to Blackford for 2.3 million and was part of the squad that won the Premier League there as well. Yeah. He, his honours at Oldham Athletic, they won the, the second division. Uh, the season yeah. we're talking about, the one uh, was a League Cup runner-up the season before. Uh, yeah. she- Sheffield Wednesday was an FA Cup runner-up in ninety two ninety three and a League Cup runner-up in ninety two ninety three as well. Uh, so and then obviously Blackburn won the Premier League in ninety four ninety five. Yeah, uh, you know he was signed originally to Oldham for ten thousand pounds. So I think you know seven hundred, as you say, three quarters of a million to Sheffield Wednesday was a. That was a good uh, profit on him as well there. Yeah. It, it's a good profit, but you know yourself what you're supporting, Clybank, that um, he, brilliant player and you know you'll get a lot of money for him. But when they go, something, you know, some hope inside you kind of dies, doesn't it? Because here's a brilliant player that if you had 12 of players of this calibre in the, in the you know, in the 12, 11 different positions, if you had a 14 of these type players, You'd, you'd get somewhere, wouldn't you? But these players, for me, come along just, you know, once. You probably have one of these players every season. Um, and when they leave, yeah, you get a lot of money in. You make a massive profit on it. But what do you get in return? We've got Brian Kilcline, the former Coventry Probably. captain mm-hmm. and centre-half. Uh, the Snowden brothers, who were good players, but um, I'd have rather have Paul Warris any day. And then... The way I work is I, I then followed his career, obviously, and knowing his, his England call-up and his transfer fees. And um, a mate of mine's Lee Richardson, who used to play for Aberdeen, and he was manager of Chesterfield when he signed him. And uh, I remember ringing him saying, Lee, Paul Warris. And he said, oh, I, I didn't want to sign him. Someone sort of made us sign him or the chairman brought him in. He said, I can't believe how good he is. I said, amazing player. <laughs> yeah. he, he said he, he's still got it. And I don't know what year he was at Chesterfield. Was it about 98 or something? But still still a great player on the yeah. ball. Yeah, he, he played four league games for Chesterfield in 2003. So it was, 2003, right? Yeah. So, quite, so, yeah, so that's when Lee was manager, yeah. What, what, was the re- what reason did they leave Oldham? Was it... Was he unhappy there? Did he? Because cause Oldham were just getting promoted to the top flight, weren't they? Yeah, I, I, I don't really know why he left, but yeah. um, we were going. We were in the top division because it was we we won the second division and went into Division One, which was Division One for one season and then became the Premiership. So we, we were in the the top league for three seasons and then got relegated. Um, you've just got to think we've got 
our peak, we had 14,000 fans. He went to Sheffield Wednesday, he'd probably be playing in front of 30,000. They must have tripled his money. You, mm. you can't blame him for leaving, really. Yeah. And, you know, we made, you know, £740,000 profit on him and plus had two or three good years out of him. Everyone wins, don't they? Apart from people like me, mm-hmm. where you know, we get Brian Kilcline and the Snowden brothers. Yeah. And uh, I just talk to people like you telling you, Paul Warris, he's in my all time old 11, you know, great player. And yeah. then you tell me that he only played 68 games for something. <laughs> in my mind, he paid 150. Yeah, yeah, I think it was 86 in total. Uh, so that's including League and Cup games and stuff like that. Yeah, but, but you're, you're absolutely right about this idea that. For the fan, it's it's more than just the it's more than just the money you get for them, isn't it? It's probably the reason you're getting good money is because they've been such an important part of the team, and you know they've probably idolised by the fans and things like that. So yeah, yeah. I absolutely get that. You know when you say that when they do leave, something sort of being a bit over dramatic here, but something sort of dies inside you about the the hopes for the. For, you know where the club's going and stuff like that, so I yeah. absolutely get that. Yeah, you, do. you, you mentioned you mentioned there, Graham. Sorry, you mentioned yeah. uh, Oldham's artificial pitch. What what was what was the football like on that on that pitch? Uh, well, it, it coincided with a really successful period because in eighty six eighty seven we, which was the first year of the playoffs, we came third. So we would have gone up in normal circumstances, yeah. but we came third and then lost a two-leg semi-final playoff against Leeds United. So we, we were playing good football. Then we had a quiet season, if I remember right, uh, and then we started coming good again, 89-90, when we had two brilliant cup runs, but came about sixth or seventh in the league. And then in 91, the year of this magazine, we got promoted into the Premiership, but we then had to lose the AstroTurf in the top, well, said mm-hmm. Premiership Division 1, we then had to lose the AstroTurf in the top division. So the short answer to your question, the football was brilliant, but Oldham's the second highest ground above sea level in the Football League after mm-hmm. West Brom, bizarrely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you get a windy day at Boundary Park, which you quite often do eight months of the year, and try taking a goal kick on an AstroTurf pitch yeah. on the second highest ground in the league. And... Um, they even allowed the fullbacks to come into the area and Hold put the, the hand on the ball for the goalie to take a dead ball because to keep the ball still. They even let that go just because it's that bloody windy. Mm. But uh, the football was really good. But I'm a big fan of football in the rain and the mud, yeah. personally, being from the 70s. And um, something we lost something when we when we put the AstroTurf down initially. But the football was really good. And Paul Warris was a good example of the modern player playing on AstroTurf. Um, he was so quick across the ground. He played in trainers. He was so quick and it, it just suited his game. He never went down. He, you know, he didn't need to do a sliding tackle. He never did sliding tackles. He was just really fast. So so just on that pitch, so that would have been a really short AstroTurf. So it's nothing like this AstroTurf you get nowadays, which is quite long Grass no, like that. So it, would it, have was, been... it, it wasn't even grass. It was like a really bad 1970s living room carpet. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was like um, it, it was like shale that didn't move. You, do you know shale like yeah, yeah. Um, like little stones, but but stuck into a carpet. You know, it it, it wasn't. You couldn't call it grass. It was a, a green carpet. It, it was the one of the first astro pictures. There was only us, Luton, QPR. I think Preston had one put down. Mm-hmm. Um, all very, 
good for football, sort of, but you know, in 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 the winter conditions, awful really. Yeah, probably more for for training and things like that rather than actual games. Yeah, and the vibe so. was that the community could play on there on a Friday night. You could have a, a, a mm. you know six aside or whatever. We could hire it out on a Friday night, but I don't think anyone ever did, to be <laughs> honest. Because it was too cold. <laughs> right, we'll move on. A couple of pages here. I'm going to page 13. And this is Vote for Shoots, Most Exciting Player of the Year. So we touched on this at the front page as well. So it says, here's your chance to choose the player you feel has provided the most thrills for the supporters this season. All you have to do is register your vote by v- dialing the corresponding number. Your vote will be automatically registered. The 12 players to choose from and the numbers to ring are listed below. It says each call costs approximately seven pence. So I was wasn't as much as I thought. But please ask your parents before phoning. So the the players that we see here: Paul Merson, David Platt, Gordon Strachan, Ian Rush, Ian Wright, Mark Hughes, Lee Sharp, Niall Quinn, Stuart Pearce, Paul Gascoigne, John Fashionu, and Alan Smith. I mean, that's a pretty good selection of players, yeah. isn't it? Well. Uh, Slightly big to differ. The the, ex- the title's the most exciting player of the yeah, year. You, you wouldn't call Ian Rush or who else? Uh, Alan Pierce, Smith or Niall yeah, Quinn. Yeah, yeah. Mortally yeah. exciting, would you? Mm. Yeah. You know, when, when did you see Niall Quinn go on amazing run and beat three defenders <laughs> and beat the keeper, chip the keeper from the um, you know from thirty yards? Well, maybe if it was a season that he because there was a game he went in goals. Isn't it for for Arsenal? <laughs> and I think yeah. he saved a penalty. Did he? Maybe saved a penalty. So I'm wondering, maybe uh, if that yeah. was that. Yeah, uh, what it for Man City actually when he went in goal? Could well have been actually that. That isn't that it of... on one of the previous pages in the magazine? Yeah, I think it's on that uh, the, the cruise news. But where is it? Niall oh. Quinn's recent penalty save against Derby wouldn't have come as a surprise to anyone who's watched the Republic of Ireland train. At the end of each session, Quinn issues a challenge to his Irish colleagues. Score three penalties against him and you win £10. It doesn't mention who he was playing for. but No, it doesn't say. He's recently <laughs> saved a penalty against Starbuck. Because he's famously uh, Ireland's number three goalkeeper in the 1990 World Cup squad. They only took two goalkeepers because he was registered as a third, <laughs> wow. a third I goalkeeper. I didn't know that. Wow. That's a good little stats I like that. So there we go. Maybe, you know, that's what they're taking into account for now. But I get your point. I mean, Stuart Pearce, He's not going to go on that. He's just going to go through somebody and then yeah, launch the ball out. up apart. But some good, uh, some good names there. David Platt, he's from, he never played for Oldham, but he's from Oldham, David mm-hmm. Platt. I mean, Gordon Strachan would be in for a shout, I guess. An exciting yeah. player. He, he was playing really well at this period. He, he was one, mm. as soon as Ferguson went to United, he, he got out of the way, didn't he? And mm. had a great yeah. um, end of his career at Leeds. Yeah. But I guess maybe, you know, just Gascoigne, Wright and Merson and maybe... Three of the ones yeah. that I'd be thinking, yeah. The, the, I would have thought uh, Gascoigne won this, I would have thought, in 91, because you just had the 90 World Cup, hadn't we? And uh, yeah. he had a pretty good season in 91, if memory serves, when he got injured in the final against Forrest. Yeah. Okay. So at the bottom, it says next week, vote for your top Scottish player. All right, okay. Yeah. That'd be interesting to see who was flagged up in the next mm-hmm. week's issue. Well, I'll, I'll find that, maybe not now, but I will find that out. Because um, what we do as part of the podcast as well, Graham, is we, we have an accompanying web page and we put all the stuff that we talk about, the pictures and things, and we'll put links to things that aren't in the magazine, whether it's videos or photographs and things. So I'll make sure anything we talk about that we ask a question goes onto that web page as well. And the purpose behind right. that is so you can do what we're doing at the moment and follow it as as people listen to the podcast, they can follow what we're talking about as well. Yeah. 
Now, just on the, the article has a picture of a trophy. And I've zoomed in on it because there's a plaque on it. And it said, voted most exciting player of the 1970 World Cup by readers of Shoot and Goal magazine. That's what, that's what that says in there. And I make a note here, it says they didn't in- include the exclamation mark for the shoot, which I'm disappointed about. You know, shoot oh, exclamation yeah. mark. Yeah. For me, that's that's a that's a, a no-no to do that. But I, I thought that was really interesting to... It is. ...to, to see but, that, so... And I wonder who... Who the did you say the nineteen seventy seventy four the nineteen seventy four so that's Germany so I'm yes yeah, I mean it probably they've been a Scottish player unless they're going for one of the other countries quite um, possibly or it could be the uh, the Zaire player that's brought from the wall and led yeah. the ball <laughs> to the crowd when was it Revelino was waiting to take a free kick yeah um yeah look look at the face or the hair of the statue it looks like a lion in a football kit. <laughs> Yeah. A slender lion in a football kit. It looks as though he's maybe stamped, doing a wee bit of stamp downwards, maybe his knee in the ball as well. So I don't it know. looks it's... a bit like that, doesn't it? It certainly yeah. does. That's a great spot, though, Andy. That's a yeah. great spot that it's yeah. from the 1974 World Cup. We'll find we'll find that out as well. So, I mean, it could be somebody like, well, I don't know, it'd be Joe Jordan, but um, yeah, you're right. It could be the Zaire player. And that, that, for me, is one of the greatest clubs of football ever. Yeah. Have you, have, you, have you heard um, what his reason was? That he actually said it was a political statement. All right, okay. You know, and it's like, I, yeah, I didn't know that. No, that, that's you just getting carried away. You see, that's you getting caught up in the moment. You're in a World Cup final, or the World Cup finals against Brazil, and you've just got carried away, mate. That's what happened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Is that the game when did Brazil win like by quite a few, and then the a sub goalie came on and he was horrendous. Um, but when Yugoslavia beat them 9 0 as well, nine I think. 9 0, yeah. And yeah. Brazil beat them 4 0, and Scotland beat them 2 0. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, even though obviously an English fan when it comes to international football, but I was so rooting for Scotland. And there, I, it, you, you were led to believe by the commentary that you you were going to get six or seven, and to only get two, <laughs> mm. it, it was, I was disappointed for you. Yeah. As a 10 year old, I was disappointed that mm. night. Mm. I was sorry, Andy. I was just going to say, and the, the advert for boots just across right. the page, just kind of interesting because this is just a colour just creeping into the boots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, it's they're still black boots, but there there's green, there's fluorescent green yeah. on the and red and on the soles and on the flashes kind of thing. So I think there's just colour just starting to creep into football yeah. boots at this point. I think we have seen other, we have seen earlier boots maybe that the colour started on the sole. So, mm, so this yeah. is now creeping a bit more up onto the boot as well. But you're right, that's a good spot as well. But the, the fluorescent Reebok and New Balance as well. And yeah. New Balance, you know, it's always been about in in terms of boots here. Um, but I think it's just in recent years because of the um, teaming up with like Celtic and I don't know. Is there any of the big teams down in England that are New Liverpool. Balance? Liverpool. Is, is Newcastle New Balance as well? Um, Maybe. Oh, I don't know. Well, yeah. the the kits at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't I'm know. Sure I don't know. I've, I've kind of took my eye off that mm. kind of side of things yeah. recently, but um... but I think that sort of brought New Balance back into it, and it's, it's started to become the big player there. That's a good spot, yeah. Tom. Sometimes companies just buy the name, not they to use the name rather than yeah. it, it's not the original New Balance mm. company. Sometimes people like with the Admiral resurgence in the yeah. you know with Happy Mondays wearing the Admiral gear and stuff. It wasn't Admiral from the seventies. We bought the the logo to to use. Mm. I've seen that recently with Style, the uh, Style Matchmakers, the boots from years ago. 
they've started right. doing boots again. Style matchmaker is yeah. brilliant. <laughs> but so I'm just going to look at this next page, and then what we're going to do is a, a focus on feature. So the sports world, it's another advert, and it's a full page color advert for football kits and gear. And featured is a new Spurs kit and shell suit. There's also Man United, Arsenal, and England kits as well. There's a new Scotland range, and also shown yep. as a Celtic shell suit. Now, they, they sell footballs as well, and it's worth looking at the, the names of the balls that they have for sale. And I don't know that you can see the names, make them out, but there's one called a Beardsley Flair. There's another oh. called a Beardsley, Beardsley Legend. There's a Robson Legend, and there's a Liverpool Replica. I just thought those are some great names for footballs there. Absolutely brilliant. So the next bit we're going to do, Graham, you're, you're, I know for a fact you're, you're more than aware of the focus on features which appear yeah. in shoot. So it's just, you know, footballers of the day and they get asked these questions. So we're going to do a focus on yourself here. So I'm going to okay. hit a bunch of questions to you and you can just give me your answers. So yeah. here we go. Full name. Graham Paul Lambert. What's your birthplace? Uh, Chatterton Oldham. What's your first car? Ford Cortina. Who's your favourite player? Uh, Darren McDonough, who played for Oldham in the 80s. Um, yeah, and Lee Richardson, joint, who was played for Oldham also, but um, managed Aberdeen. Uh, played for Aberdeen up at, yep, yep. Uh, in Scotland. Okay, I'll ask, we know the answer to this, but I'll ask this question. Favourite team? Uh, Oldham. What's the most memorable match that you've seen? Uh, I'm going to go the last one. We beat Newport County 5-0. In March 2020, we're on a roll. We'd scored eight goals in the last two home games. We got a new strike force, and it felt like we were going somewhere. And then COVID 19 struck. Damn you, COVID. Damn you. What's the, the biggest thrill of your life? Oh, so many. <laughs> um, doing a gig in the River Plate Stadium in 1991, as we spoke about earlier. Yeah. It's got to be up there. Played at GMX in Manchester in July 90 and June 91. They were exciting times. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. What's been your biggest disappointment? Uh, well, we lost our record contract. Uh, I said we, the Inspiral Carpets, lost a record contract in uh, Jan 1995. That was quite a big disappointment to, to take, really, mm-hmm. um, which ultimately led to a splitting up with, few months later so that was quite a big big hit to take okay what's the best country that you visited i do like argentina right so what's your favorite food uh vegetarian mm-hmm. do you have a specific dish that you like <laughs> sorry uh anything <laughs> vegetarian spicy right. okay indian in, indian vegetarian food okay have you got a good vegetarian indian restaurant near you no, not particularly. There's one in Leeds called the Cat's Pyjamas and our middle daughter's at Leeds. So whenever we go over there, we tend to go in the Cat's Pyjamas in Leeds. Well, if you, if you ever do come over this way again, I, I know of a couple other ones. I think one's called Prashad, which right. uh, which I think won um, some one of the, the big awards, the, the Curry House of the Year or something like that. I'll let right, you, okay. you know, if you're ever over for, for a curry again, let me know. And I'll, I'll yeah. let you know where that is. Okay. Miscellaneous likes. Give me three things that you like like doing or um, just like. Cycling, uh, cricket, uh, Cyprus. Cyprus. Yeah. Okay. 
miscellaneous dislikes. So give me a couple of things that drives you up the wall. Smoking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit of a cliche, but uh, kind of uh, right, extreme right-wing views. Um, and I don't know if I could include Donald Trump, but is that yep. bad? I actually <laughs> kind of like watching him. It actually, because it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, you you do you watch it thinking how how much worse can this get? How how you know how long can this go on for? And at the back of your mind, you're thinking this is going to go on forever. This is yeah. this is. It's l- just, I've said I mean, it's, it's ultimately it's actually quite sad, but mm. it, it's just compelling that he yeah. he's where he is in 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 the world. It's mm. just amazing, really. No, it'd be one of mine. It'd be one of my answers. So I'll, I'll absolutely take that. <laughs> What's your favorite TV show of all time? The Prisoner. Okay. From the sixties, yep. with Patrick McGoon. Mm-hmm. Which your, who's your favourite singers? Give me two favourite singers. Ooh, okay. Favourite singers. Oh, uh, Arthur Lee from Love. Uh, Alex Turner, Arctic Monkeys. Okay, we'll take them. Favourite actors. And again, two favourite actors. Ooh, I like Lewis Collins, who's born in The Professionals. Whether mm-hmm. he's a good actor or not, I don't know, but I do like <laughs> the role he plays in The Professionals. I'm always watching The Professionals. Yeah. Um, yeah Patrick McGowan, who was The Prisoner. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like old retro stuff, yeah. as you probably know. <laughs> not unlike yourself, Andy. Yes. Who, who's your best friend? Oh, uh, I don't know. It's <laughs> um, weird, isn't it? Like, um, <laughs> did, I don't know. I guess there are some a wife, but I don't know. I'd like well, you to better not say it like that. I'd say don't say it like that if you're going to say it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we'll, we'll either we'll come back to that if, if something pops into your head, then let us okay. know. But if not, so the last question: Which person in the world that you've not met already would you most like to meet? Yeah, good question. And also, a lot of the time, uh, and the focus on people. Put the Queen at the FA Cup final, don't they? Which I was like, quite a yeah. kooky answer. Uh, I don't know really, because sometimes when you meet people who you think might be good, they're incredibly dull, and and it's just a different world, isn't it? Now where you can sort of feel like you're meeting people on Twitter and yeah. stuff. Who would almost like to meet? Don't know. Don't know. Um, oh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Steve Archibald. Okay. Nice. That's a good one. Steve Archibald. There we go. We'll, we'll, we'll see if we can get that sorted out, shall we? <laughs> comes across well on Twitter. Steve Archibald, Steve Archibald comes across well on Twitter. Uh, I've seen a few of his things. I don't actually follow him, but a few of things, a few of these things pop up. But uh, I thought he was a great player. Yeah, yeah he was. Yeah, just love watching him. Great stuff. So that that's a focus on. Thank you for that. That's great. Can I just stick there briefly with your music career, uh, Graham, and just ask you one wee question? What yes. was Marky e. Smith like to work with? <laughs> uh, a nightmare. Um, in short, <laughs> we did. We spent three days with him uh, making "I Want You," uh, recording it basically, um, doing the video, and then doing top of the pops with him. The, uh, and you know, we were together quite intensely for six years, travel around the world and stuff. But the three days we spent with him were just the most manic, <laughs> crazy days. Uh, it's just it's just lawless. And just, you know, we were doing top of the pots where things run genuinely to time. The 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 band were all miming top of the pots apart from Tom and Marky e. Smith were singing live. And he just wouldn't do it like the record because 
he sort of couldn't, but also even if he could, he wouldn't have done it like the record. So the producer threatened to throw us off the programme. Um, when we did the video, he had a spat with the stylist who was trying to like fasten his pants up because we were falling down and he thought the guy was trying to feel him up and <laughs> pushed him to the floor and uh, he was taking speed and stuff, you know, and just, uh, just not that that's that bad, but just the whole thing combining was just... Um, Absolute legend, and I've got a lot of fall records. But um, whose idea it, was it to work with them on, on that? Uh, song? I, I'm sure Clint would say it was his idea. I can't remember if it actually was. Uh, but we were just we we're on our fourth album, so we just wanted to spice up our records and particularly the, the singles. Um, and someone said uh, you get to guest vocal on there, which. I'm not sure Tom was a bigger big fan of that because Tom obviously being the singer, someone yeah. taking a bit of singing sort of limelight. But but Tom went with it to his credit. And and you know, I'd always say about Tom that to, for him to sing live on top of the pops, along with Marky e. Smith, who was singing, ranting live out of time and saying the wrong things. And Tom just kept listening to what we were miming to to come in at the right the choruses at the right time. Absolute massive professional performance by Tom. Um, it is a classic bit of TV, though, if you ever, yeah. uh, if anybody gets a chance to watch it. It's Barrel Carpets featuring Marky Smith doing I Want You on Top of the Pops. Um, it is. A lot of people, you know, some of the things we're noted for is having Noel Gallagher as a roadie, but there's probably the second most famous thing we're noted for is uh, getting Marky Smith on Top of the Pops, which is the only time, oh, yeah. I believe, he was ever on Top of the Pops, which was, uh, it was highly entertaining. Are you a fall fan, Tom? Oh, I- I'm more a fan of I was more a fan of Marky Smith's kind of uh, colour personality. You know, he, he was always watchable uh, yeah. whenever whenever he was on. And uh, I mean, the, the fall with with a you know a tight bands, but you know, again, fascinating the number of people that went through uh, the fall and just the just, yeah. his, just his personality was just always kind of entertaining. You know, whenever you saw. Have you read the fall the fall books? A couple of books. One called The Fallen. Which is by a journalist called Dave Simpson. Yeah, he tracked you... down all the all the members. That's a brilliant read. That. I've not got it, but I I'll need to get it. And then there's one by one of the Hanley brothers. And forgive me, Paul, uh, if it isn't you. I think it's Paul Hanley who wrote it. Uh, called the Big Mid Midweek, which is um, the bass player's view of being in the fall for two thirds of the fall's career. That's a very interesting read as well. Um, but a great band and and. The Hanley brothers, who were the drums and bass of the fall, brilliant that they could go through their careers with with Mark as as the main man in the band. Yeah. Uh, amazing that they could stick at it and and do what they did, and they made some absolutely outstanding records. Mark Riley, obviously, who's now a DJ on Six Music, he was in the fall for a time. Um, he's you know he's a good guy, and they made some brilliant records when Mark was in the band as well. Uh, they're a great band, and it was a very good time, but it. It really made me appreciate after we'd done I Want You with Mark and we dropped him off after we'd done Top of the Pops, it really did make me appreciate the other four members of the group, how uh, set of, what a set of decent blokes they were. <laughs> <laughs> and again, sorry, I, I'm just, again, just briefly touching your, your yeah. music career. I, I, I remember seeing you play The Barrowlands 1990, just right. after This Is How It, it Feels. And yeah. I think you've been going for a few years and then you that hit single. I think real, things really kind of exploded for you. What, what was that time? like when you kind of broke through 
Yeah, it was brilliant. And it's it's hard to determine the time when you actually classed as as breaking through. For me, um, with our first record, which was called Plane Crash, got played on John Peel. And for me, being a big John Peel fan, that That was was a point of, like, uh, you know, uh, um, my life's not complete, but this, this is this is what I wanted to do, you know, get, get on John Peel, you know, yeah. and, uh, and then we did a John Peel session and then you do more records and then you do an album and, and bit by bit, you're achieving all those things where you're thinking, mm, this is a, a step further than, than where I thought we were going to get to, you know, right. but yeah, that 1990 and that tour particularly where you saw us, that was the live tour, which was a couple of months after this feels had come out. Um, it, it kind of turns out, so that was roughly about our peak for kind of, um, you know, we were in the charts and, um, you know, the gigs were selling out and we were doing, that's when we did the GMX show in Manchester, which was to 10,000 people. And, and then on top of that, personally, uh, Oldham were doing, playing great football mm-hmm. on the AstroTurf and um, Lancashire in cricket, which is one of my other uh, hobbies, they were doing really well as well. So so a, a lot of things were were going really well, you know, and it, looking back, it was uh, it was an amazing time, you know. We'll, we'll delve back in here, and we're yep. on page 15. So the, the it's a full-page article here, and it's, We all agree Boner is better than Bono. So it's about yeah. Paddy Boner. So Pat Boner has taken over from Bono as Ireland's favourite son. Boner has come out as number one in a recent poll and is about to have his testimonial as around 50,000 fans fill Parkhead as Celtic take on the Republic of Ireland in a game which should net him about half a million pounds. He has served Celtic superbly since joining them 13 years ago. The World Cup last summer set the seal on his rise to the top and he's determined his success won't stop there. Now Paddy says, I want to knock England out of the European Championship and I would <laughs> dearly love to play in a European Cup final with Celtic. That's two noble, two noble dreams to have, I guess. <laughs> the 31-year-old signed for Celtic from Irish junior club Kidu Rovers and he has won every domestic honour in Scotland. But Italia 90 was undoubtedly the highlight of Bonner's career so far, though he admits he once feared he would never get a chance at international level. And he says, Keepers playing in Scotland were not highly regarded in the early 80s and the previous manager, own hand, never wanted to risk me. But playing in Europe with Celtic helped me a lot when Jack Charlton took over and he gave me my chance and I grasped it. Last summer was very special and I'm honoured to be part of it. The icing on the cake was going to the Vatican and meeting the Pope and then the homecoming in Dublin. Now on his penalty save against Romania, he says, It wasn't luck. I'd worked out a strategy and if you go the right way, you have a chance. I've, I think that sounds like luck to me, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yeah, you, if you go the right way, you've got a chance. Yeah, it's luck, it's luck. <laughs> On on Celtic, he says, I desperately want us to get to a European Cup final again and win it. Only then can we lay the ghosts of the 1967 Cup winning side to rest. I think I I found that an interesting thing for him to say. Yeah, it caught my eye. As if it was something which was hanging over them, uh, which I don't don't ever feel, growing up, I don't ever feel that there was this thing hanging over the Celtic teams to, to recreate the 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 glories of the 1967 cup winning side so maybe maybe they felt it a bit in the dressing room yeah i, I guess uh it's like when was it when wilkinson went to leeds and he he wanted to take down all the pictures of don revis mm-hmm. uh leeds uh championship winning side but yeah that caught my eye that about six seven because at the end of the day I, and i 
I, I remember reading about that as a kid. You know, that, that was a big moment. Mm. Celtic winning the cup in 67. That that was like massive news. That was they would they'd done something that a lot of English teams couldn't do. And that that to me as a kid, re- reading that back in my fo- my current football annuals that they won the European Cup in 67, that it was that was that was big news and that made Celtic massive. And because they were on par with Rangers, yeah. that seemed like those two like massive teams that we had to look out for, you know, in England and achieve that level, you know. Yeah. So just a, a wee spoiler here on his testimonial. So Celtic beat the Republic 3-2 with a hat-trick from Jerry Craney for Celtic. So that was on Sunday the 12th of May, 1991. Right. So it was actually the day after this this magazine um, that the, the testimonial took place. It was attending. It was only thirty-eight thousand there, so I'm afraid he probably never got his half a million pound. Um, <laughs> just looking at some of the names there: uh, Frank Stapleton played, Moran, Houghton, Bernie Slevin played for mm. the Republic, uh, Andy Townsend, Niall Quinn, Kevin Sheedy for Celtic, Paddy Boner, obviously, Peter Grant, Paul Elliott played in there, Derek White, Jerry Craney, Mikey Galloway, Tommy Coyne, Charlie Nicholas, and Jackie Jackanowski. I always love that name. <laughs> so we're moving on to page 18 and it's rate now, now Tom will be surprised that I've stopped here so this is um, a, I don't yeah, know Andy usually skims over all the cartoons all the cartoons because I, I just don't normally find them that interesting or that but we're going to have a look at Ray of the Rangers and the reason <laughs> I'm delving into this cartoon this week is the very last part of it so basically Ray has been told at the end of the game that he's Jimmy Greaves' choice for man of the match but he's shocked by the decision, and justifiably so, judging by the incidents they go through post-match. He trips over as he comes onto the pitch. He misses a penalty by hitting the ball so high it breaks a flagpole. His shorts, elastic snaps, leading to the fall down. So he's had a pretty pretty bad game. So as Jimmy hands over the bottle of champagne, Ray, true to form, drops the bottle, only for Jimmy to say, Good job you ain't a goalie, Ray. You couldn't even get a game in Chile Jockland. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I had to, I had to, I had to go through this one. Just the whole jock thing gets me because, as I've said, I said to you at the beginning before we came on, I've been down in England over twenty years, and whenever anybody says the jock thing to me, I'm just like, right, that conversation's over. I'm not even <laughs> going. I'm not even going. I just, I think it's lazy. It's lazy. Come up with something else. I'm, I'm quite happy to have a bit of to and fro and a bit of banter, but. Jock's just a, a really lazy way of doing it. Yeah. So I had a wee growl at that page there. <laughs> yeah. So we'll move, give me a wee second here. I've just lost my... See, so yeah, in the anger, I've, I've lost my place. So we're going to move <laughs> on to page 19 here, which is just there. So it's my seven-year itch, and it's a shoot exclusive by United skipper Brian Robson. It says, it was seven years ago that Man United overturned a two-goal deficit to beat Barcelona in the quarterfinals of the European Cup Winners' Cup. This match provided Robson with the greatest moment of his United career. But this coming Wednesday, he aims to go one better against the Spanish Giants in the first European final of his career. Mark Hughes is out to prove his worth to his old club and, according to Robson, is the ideal man for the occasion. This is the first season back for English teams after the European ban and United have done tremendously well to get to the final. Winning the Cup Winners' Cup final is United's only route back into Europe next season, having lost in two cup finals at home with no chance of winning the league. So on that, we, we have spoke about this um, a few times 
the fact that this was the English clubs back in Europe after the the European ban for the first time, Man United actually went on to win. And it, for me, it was it was a fantastic achievement by by Man United to to you know after the, all those years. I think it was about five years or something we worked it out, Tom, or was it three years and five years? Eighty five, the ban. So teams come back start the nineteen ninety one season apart from Liverpool. Yeah, yeah they, they, they came back a, a, a season after or something, didn't they? So it was like yeah, five years. Yeah, so yeah, let's move on to pages twenty and twenty one. So this is I want Robbo's England job, says Paul Pollin. So it's a big photograph here. And again it's Man United versus Sheffield Wednesday here. And Paul Ince has his eye on becoming Brian Robson's successor in England's midfield. And he says it would have been terrific to play alongside Robbo in the England side. I think Brian would be happy if I took over his role in the England side and that is my aim. Robson has helped in steel with his temperament and he says when he sees me about to blow my lid he says shut it Ince and that's enough most of the time. So Ince talks of the desperation of United fans to win the title again and wants to be part of the team that does that rather than someone else 10 years down the line. He says that he's desperate to challenge Gary Lineker to a game of snooker saying I've had a full size table installed in my garage and my game is improving all the time. My highest break is 74 at the moment and I want Gary's crown as football's top snooker player. So, did we know Gary Gary Lineker was a, a bit of a snooker player? Did we know that? Yeah, I, I did, because he's one of his best mates is Willie Thorne, the oh, yeah, yeah. 80s snooker player, I believe. He must, I, I guess, must be from Leicester. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a bit like Mel Smith. Like I think he had a bit of a big bald head and like a mullet at the back. Yeah, he passed away just last week. Last oh dear, week, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah I, I I did see actually. Now you mentioned, I saw Gary tweeting tweeting about him. There was quite a few photographs right. of them together as well. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to find out if I think actually I did send. I may I may have actually I need to check. I may have actually sent Gary Lineker and Paul Ince if he's on Twitter. I may have sent them a copy of that little article and asked them if they t- if they had the game. I've not had anything back from them, but I will. If, if I'm anything, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm dogged, so I will chase <laughs> up on that and try and get a, an answer. Page twenty-two, and this is Bar- Barcelona fact file. So obviously they're still looking ahead to the European Cup Winners' Cup final with Man United, and it says Barcelona are currently eight points clear at the top of the Spanish first division, and at this point it's two points for a win, and they're well on course for the first title win in six years. They've also hoped to land the European Cup Winners' Cup for the second time in three years and the record fourth time. It's less than three months since coach Johan Cruyff underwent emergency double heart bypass surgery as he succumbed to the pressures of a job which had accounted for seven predecessors in ten years. Now shoot go through each of the Barcelona players who will be in the squad for the final. First mentioned is Carlos Busquets who's actually Carles so who's a Spanish youth international keeper with Zubi Zareta out after being booked for the second time. Now, Carles, I don't know how to pronounce that. It's spelt with an E instead of an O. Carles is actually the the father of uh, current Barcelona player Sergio Busquets, which I yeah. didn't know about. I didn't know that his father had played in goals for, for them before. They also mentioned Ronald Koeman, who was lucky not to be sent off for a horrendous foul on Roberto Baggio in the semi-final. And he returned. scored in the final, didn't he, as well, I think? Yeah. Mm. He returned from an ankle ligament injury only in March. There's John Andoni Goicochea. I love the name Goicochea. He's yeah. cur- currently the most informed player in Spain. Risto Stoichkov, 
who's the most expensive Bulgarian of all time when he signed for two million last summer. And he's currently struggling with cartilage injury and was banned for two months for stamping on a referee's foot in a cup defeat by Real Madrid. Yeah, it's just things like that just make just tickle me a little bit. They tickle me in the past, you know, but but if, if players do it nowadays I'll be I'll be like absolutely livid about it. But if it's if it's more than thirty years ago, then I'll have a little a little laugh about it. <laughs> uh, the last one I picked out here is Michael Loudrup, who signed two years ago to replace Gary Lineker. Now he turned down Liverpool to go to Italy in nineteen eighty three and was an instant hit at Juventus after a brief loan spell at Lazio. So I mean a few good names to pick out there, as I've already mentioned but Ron Ron Koeman, famous for his free kicks, wasn't he? Yeah. Um Stoichkov. Stoichkov was was somebody who always entertained as well and could produce, you know, something out of nothing. Uh, Michael Loudrup as well, just a fantastic player. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the Garkachias, wasn't he? One of the, I don't know which one, but a really badly injured Maradona. Yeah. Um in what would have been the mid eighties, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, the, the name Goikachia, the, the, oh, for me, it's synonymous with the heavy, heavy challenge. You know, a, a, a player who who would take the man as well. I'm guessing it's maybe not this one because they're, they're talking. Oh, right. They're talking about him being an informed player, and he doesn't, unless he has that in his in his locker, as they say. You know, an in, an, inf, an informed player sort of suggests somebody who is a, a playmaker and. Things like that. You yeah. Don't, you, you don't. You don't. A, a hatchet man. You don't really say. Oh yeah, he's informed. He's hatcheting everybody. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, <laughs> That's yeah. So, so maybe yeah, maybe just, it's a the, the different one. Just looking at the roots of the finals, uh, they put some miles in Barcelona, didn't they? Uh, Rakovic and Dynamo Kiev. Yeah. yeah. I noticed on United's run through to the final that they beat Wrexham over two legs. I don't I don't remember that at all. <laughs> Yeah, some some teams get a slightly easier route than others, I guess. Isn't yeah. It? yeah, Wrexham's only bloody twenty five miles from Old Trafford. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Graham, did you not see you the story about the nineteen ninety one Cup Winners Cup final? Uh, yeah, just that we were on tour in Europe uh, at that time, and um, so while we were away, uh, Oldham won division. What was Division Two? But also um, this game took place when we were, we were in Eastern Europe, or what was Eastern Europe? The wall had just come down, but it was still the East, and the roads were horrendously rough. And we got the guy from the club where we played in to record the final, so we didn't know the score. Mm. And Martin, out of the group, the best player, is big Man United fan. So we were watching it and um, on bumping on the roads through Eastern, what was Eastern Europe, on on the bus through the night watching this video. And it, uh, did it? Uh, did it go to extra time? I can't remember, but it's into the last stages of the game, and it was just bumping along a bit by bit as it was like we were getting overheated. And there was only us five. We must have had a band bus in those days. There was only us five on it, and the driver and the tour manager. And as we were going along, we there was something like we had to um, when a certain thing happened, like when the ball went out for a throwing. Um, somebody had to take an item of clothing off. So by the end of the game, we're all sat there start naked. And I remember when the ref blew the final whistle, I had my underpants beyond. And I remember smacking Martin on the head. He's got a bald head. I remember just smacking him on the head with the underpants. Like, not very rock and roll, but just, uh, he was obviously absolutely buzzing that um, United had won the cup, but we're all sat there start bollock naked, watching it on video. The game had finished three hours earlier. But um, yeah, 
that's a that's the story I had about that game. Exactly. But um, yeah, I remember it was a great game. Two brilliant goals. I remember by Mark Hughes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Was it one was a, a, a tap in from a Bruce header, but another one was a. It went round the keeper and yeah. scored from an acute angle. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah. Leathered it in from an acute angle. Um, where was the final play of Rotterdam? Rotterdam, yeah. And that Mark Hughes goal it, it sticks in my head also, man, because as you say, it was an acute angle, but he just he struck it so well. And it was like one of these occasions where the ball doesn't seem to even spin. You yeah. know, it just sort of yeah, it, it bullets, along bullets the floor, into it, and it's like just and I love when that happens when when you yeah. when you see a ball like that and it hardly moves. Hardly spins when it's gone into goal. I don't know what it is about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I remember thinking the same thing because the pressure was on because as as he'd gone round, I think he went round the keeper. It was he had to just strike it first time, and it, there was only because of the angle he was at. There was only probably a ball with where he could get it through because mm-hmm. of the angle, and um, that's somebody who's at the top of the game who can do that in a final as well. So on, on to this, the, it's the page across, which is page 23, and it's Stars of the World number nine. And this is Sampdoria and USSR Alexei Mikhailichenko. So this is a half-page article, and it shows Alexei in action for Russia. It says, he's a son of a chemist. Alexei Mikhailichenko has just the right formula to become one of the modern heroes of Soviet soccer. He was marked out as a star when he was only 10, playing for Dynamo Kiev boys team before moving up to the first division where he quickly made his mark scoring in six consecutive matches as a substitute and within a year was playing for the national team against East Germany. He scored the vital goal against France which took Russia to the 1988 European Championship finals but a knee and shoulder injury wrecked his chance of making it at Italia 90. So Alexei Mikhailichenko who, who would go on and I don't know if you're aware, but he was going to play for Rangers. So yeah. he was signed by Sunas. Yeah, I remember, the, yeah. I remember him playing for Rangers. Yeah. So on to the underneath. So Keir Radnage goes worldwide. And I'm just again, it's a couple of little little stories. So I'm going to pick out right row. So the Brazilian ref who made Gaza cry is back at the centre of controversy. For Bolivian club Bolivar claim they were approached by a man offering to bribe ref. Jose Roberto Wright for the club's 10 South American Cup tie with Nacional of Uruguay. But Wright has nothing to fear. Nobody could accuse him of favouritism. He sent one off, one man off from each side as Bolivar crashed 4-1. <laughs> so the next one is Ivic ticks over. So Tomislav Ivic, coach of Atletico Madrid, is taking no chances in the wake of Johan Cruyff's heart illness. When Ivic sits on the bench, he wears an electronic device which starts bleeping when his heart rate starts shooting up. It takes a bit of precaution there. Uh, We're moving on to page 26. So page 26 is the Happy Wanderers FA Trophy Final. And this is Wickham Wanderers versus Kidderminster Harriers. Again, it's one of those teamed names that I really... I just like saying. So 12 years have elapsed since Martin O'Neill last walked up the Wembley steps to collect a cup winner's medal. And now he's on the ascendancy again. He's going back to Wembley on Saturday as the manager of Wickham Wanderers. Wanderers who meet Kidderminster Harriers in the final won't even be eligible to enter the tournament before too long. O'Neill says, The aim is to steer Wickham up into the Football League. Anyone who knows anything about non-league football will tell you what a big club we are at this level. Our set-up is the envy of our league. We have a brilliant new ground and terrific facilities, and now we want league football. 
Now, they wouldn't finish top this season, so that's just a wee spoiler. Wickham, who get an average home gate of 3,000, sold 19,000 tickets for the final in the first week, and expectations are that it will take 25,000 to Wembley. O'Neill has learned good habits from his old boss, Brian Clough. O'Neill helped to repay him by recommending Gary Crosby to Clough, and the relationship was further developed when Clough took his team to Wickham for a game to mark the opening of their new £3.5 million ground. O'Neill says, I played under Clough for about seven years, but I seem to get on better with him now than I ever did during my playing careers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the article shows a picture of Mar- Martin barking out orders from the sideline. So, as a spoiler, nearly fa- 35,000 fans witnessed Wickham beat Kidderminster 2-1. Martin O'Neill there. Good player, Martin O'Neill. Great player. Mm. Yeah, the, the other the other photograph that's on the page there is... Um, at Nottingham Forest there some great players John Robertson in there as well some great players Tony Woodcock at the front Woodcock and, yeah uh, some great players he's played with as well yeah. some great players and Larry Lloyd yeah holding up the which cup is that that's the League Cup League yeah. Cup 1978 League Cup against Liverpool so you can just uh, across the the page there is a competition it's to win tickets to England versus Argentina at Wembley Five first prizes of a pair of tickets for the match, an exclusive England satin bomber jacket, a replica <laughs> Ar- yeah, a, a replica Argentina shirt, and an England supporters pack containing scarf, baseball cap, and badge. And there's also ten runners-up prizes of a pair of match tickets, England versus Argentina t-shirt, and the England supporters pack. So I think the only thing you're not getting is that beautiful satin bomber jacket. Oh, you don't get the the replica Argentina shirt either. Now it says, phone the premium rate number and answer the question. Who scored England's goal when they last played Argentina during the 1986 World Cup finals in Mexico? Anybody got the answer? Hmm. Gary Lineker. Gary Lineker it was, yeah. Also with the sitter, similar replica chance, didn't he, when John Barnes yeah, John came Barnes up and crossed it and then missed, missed the equal opportunity. Mm. Great game, that, as well, and um, two great kits for me. Yeah. Very unusual at that time to see England in the light blue shorts and socks. Yeah, yeah, that is very unusual. I like it, though. I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A good team as well, the, that 86. That, that was uh, a good World Cup, mm. 86, for me, personally. Yeah. Did, how did Scotland were there in 86? Yeah, right? they did, yeah, yeah. Did, yeah. They, did you do okay? I can't remember. Nope. Uh, did you get out of the group? Nope. We never Was have. that when Strachan did that famous fall to when he scored and yeah, couldn't yeah. get over the Ordens? West Germany, yeah. You beat by Denmark, then Strachan scored first against West Germany. We got beat 2 1 and then drew 0 0 by Uruguay. Hmm. And Uruguay had a player sent off after 40 seconds. <laughs> right. Still yeah. could they beat them. Yeah. Steve Nicholl the, missed a sitter. What we remember Who did? about it. Steve Nichol on Liverpool. Right. And was that you done then? Is it that was us out, yeah. On goal difference. On goal difference again. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just the story every time. So Yeah. Was that when you had the shorts with half dark blue and half white? It was a band. It was uh, band, so it was yeah. white shorts with a band sort of in the middle. It went right across. Oh, was it in the middle? Right. Yeah, it just it, it's a it's a strange effect because it almost makes it look as if it's a continuation of the shot, but it's yeah. Pulled through that's it. what I thought. Yeah. And was that when you had Ferguson as the standing manager? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And he didn't pick any Liverpool players, or didn't pick Hanson and 
I don't, oh, don't believe Hansen. she wasn't in the pool, I don't think. Kai Hansen might not have been either. And he fell out with Sunis at some point over there. Because I don't think Sunis played against Uruguay. What Ferguson fell out with Sunis? Do I don't think Ferguson, I don't think Sunis played against Uruguay and right. he didn't take Dalglish at all. Oh, did Ted Dalglish? I think that's right. Right. Oh, yeah, because he would have been at the virtually at the end, though, then Dalglish yeah. in 86. Yeah. Yeah. Good World Cup, though, uh, that aside. Um, it was good. Oh, some great that... games, some great teams. Yeah, not, uh, Northern Ireland were there as well, weren't they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they'd done well in 82 as well, and then got there in 86. Mm. But yeah, good World Cup. But uh, yeah, it's funny uh, that game, England v uh, Argentina, and Lineker's quite um, magnanimous about Maradona's contribution, but Peter Shilton still mm. going on about it. <laughs> like, you know, that full of that national pride where, mm. uh, you know, the Argy, the Argy lad beat him with his hand. You know, it's like Lineker's saying, yeah, he's, but he was a brilliant player. I'm wondering if it's actually changed who Peter is because he does, <laughs> does seem to have carried quite a, a heavy bitterness about it. And listen, I absolutely get it. Maradona cheated. He should, you know, should have been punished for it, and that that's it. But it's don't let it ruin your life. It's, yeah, you know, yeah just, it just seems uh, to be yeah, sort of get over it kind of thing. You know, yeah. it's, uh, and it's how it goes, isn't it? You know, it's just 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 happened, and it ref didn't spot it, and the linesman didn't, and then that's that's it, isn't it? And you know, get on with it. You got to concentrate, haven't you, and not be put off by it. And mm. great game though, great game. Yeah. I don't, I can't, I don't remember this friendly though in '91. I just don't remember what happened. Did, 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 do either of you two? No, I, I sort of. I think I sort of remember this round the time, and it, I think there was a bit of tension about it because it, it was probably the first time since '86 uh, that they played, and you yeah. know there was the whole thing about the the hand of God, and but I don't really remember much else about it. And the Falklands still yeah. probably would have been yeah. rumbling on, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, we're going on to page 34 here. So this is Greavesy's page, which I always find fascinating. Here we go, Greavesy. So this is Greavesy's letters page. And the first one is, <laughs> what do you know? So this is Barry Galt from Portese in Banffshire. And he writes, you're always going on about how badly Rangers are treated by Scottish football and constantly having a go at our game. But you know nothing about Scottish football and shouldn't even comment on our affairs. <laughs> yeah, so Greavesy says, as a neutral observer, I can look at Scottish football a lot more objectively than you lot, and I don't like what I see. For instance, why is it that you haven't realised that if you take away your top three or four clubs, you're left with a Mickey Mouse league? He <laughs> doesn't he doesn't pull back or anything there, Greavesy, does he? No, yeah. but it, it's, it, that represents that view. He's so far away from Scotland, isn't he? It just represents that view, doesn't yeah. it? And, I don't know. It, they were quite popular, weren't they? Saints and Greaves, though, around... Was it around this time? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit yeah. after this, but... Um, yeah, it's a bit, you know... It's not, but, not a particularly um, constructive reply to that letter, yeah. is it? Yeah. The thing is, I mean, I see enough of these to realise that there is a... There's an ongoing theme when it comes to Scottish stuff as well, in particular. I mean, he doesn't... I think it might be in this one as well as another one. Actually, there's another one where he absolutely rips into Vinnie Jones. So it's not as if he just saves yeah, all just... his stuff for, for Scotland, but there yeah. is there is a, a bit of a theme which, you know, it can be a bit tiresome after a while. Yeah. So that, that's, I think, the third picture there, Manchester United and Sheffield Wednesday. They get from that League Cup final, Graham, eh, on that... 
yeah. on that page. They've good use of <laughs> yeah. photographs for that game. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the third one in this magazine because the one with Paul and St. Robson, I think that was the same the same yeah. game. Yeah. Okay, so the next one I'm looking at is Cup KO, so that's over on the other page. And yeah. it's Martin Jackson from Corby in North Ants writes, by playing the European Cup on a league basis next season, UEFA have killed all the excitement and the thrilling element of the sudden death from the Premier competition. And he was right. Yeah, I know. But Greavesy responds, <laughs> not at all. It's a step closer to a European Super League and that has to be the way forward. Can we, can we spend a, a minute or two discussing this? I'm with you entirely, yeah. entirely, Tom. I just, I, I just feel no... Like, no excitement for the Champions League at all now. You know, I've I've said this before that I'll you know I'll I'll be on in the garden or I'll be on Twitter or I'll be reading a book or something, and suddenly I realise it's the semi final or the final that well, probably not the final, but the semi final of the Champions League, and it's like it just doesn't even register because it's the same teams all the time playing the same teams, and I, I I've just lost my passion for it. Yeah. Uh, it- it doesn't really interest me that much at um, uh, Champions League, to be fair. Uh, but I remember in ooh, the game when Forrest played Liverpool in the first round in when Forrest had won it the previous year, I think. So it would have been 79-80 maybe. Yeah. And uh, Forrest knocked Liverpool out in the first round. Yeah, and yeah. The vibe was two of the top teams were meeting each other in the first round and they were both English. Um I just remember that as a as a sort of kid or as a teen thinking this this or probably picking up on things people saying this has got to change this you can't have the two best teams playing themselves. Um, but yeah, it's it, I don't know whether it's because I support Alderman we're in Division Four or it's just because I'm getting older. But the the Champions League it just does just just don't interest me at all. It's just so sterile is it at yep. the beginning mm-hmm. and it doesn't really hot up to, to, till the end mm. you know and yeah. it, uh, the last season so this time last year we had that brilliant week didn't we were did Spurs beat Ajax um, yeah. uh, City were playing Spurs. yeah Liverpool beat Barcelona 4-0 yeah. after being 3-0 the, down the first leg and then mm. I think Spurs was three two on the night they beat Ajax. Yeah, and earlier on, like maybe on the Monday night, Man City beat Leicester one nil when Company scored that goal. I just remember every night of the week there was like an absolute yeah. blinding game on, but yeah. it, it took it to get to that stage of the yeah. Champions League for me for it to start getting interesting when Liverpool three nil down playing Barcelona at home, they were two nil up, then like took interest in watching the rest of the game, you know. Mm. But yeah, it's just gone very sort of sterile, isn't it? And it, it does rule out that chance of, of a giant killing, yeah. you know, uh, on the night kind of thing, doesn't it? You know, because uh, there's teams have won their group with two games to go, you know, whereas yeah. that's just... And then they, they wheel out all the reserves, all the old players or something. It's just... Mm. It's I mean, one of, one of the things I, I sort of miss, and I know it's we're in a different, more global world and things like that, so we're not as far apart from countries, but it used to be that you get drawn with a team and you'd have to look in the map where it was and you'd never heard of them, and so you'd have to either just watch and see what happens or do your homework and things, but it's, that's not there now. And as I say, I get that you know the world's a smaller place, it's it's much easier to get information to see highlights of teams and you know you can go into football fifa or something like that and probably play it, put the two teams together and see what the players are but i just yeah. i miss that aspect of the unknowns who are unknown to us but you know 
they certainly wouldn't be in their own, you know, areas. But I miss things like that. And like yeah. you said about Forest in Liverpool, I, I've I'm on record as saying I hate seedings. I hate seedings. I think competitions you just throw everybody together and draw it because all you're then doing is you, you're just saying we want certain teams to go through. And yeah, you no, know, that's that that goes against good competition for me. And it's good for, you know, when when it was a knockout like this. I remember Newport County having a bit of a run one year. I remember I've got a DVD of them somewhere playing Rapid Vienna in, in either the Cup Winners' Cup or the European Cup something. And I don't know, it's just it's just good, isn't it, when it seems like that. And Wrexham have had a couple of runs in, yeah, in yeah. Europe. And, um, yeah, yeah that, that's kind of taken away now, isn't it? The, the, the thing that sums up for me was, was it last season or maybe the season before where... I don't know if it was the semi-final or the final, and Real Madrid either got beat or got in the final or got put out, and they showed you the fans after, and they're all crying and stuff, and it's like, you've have been in five of the last six finals, probably won four of them, and you are crying yeah. because, and it's like, for me that that was that was just that was too much. It's like get a grip, get a grip, come on, yeah. it's you can't you can't you can't follow football like that. There's no way. No. I think I think that's it when you when you follow the bigger teams, you, you do you get used you expect and you get used to success, don't you? And um you mm. you become to you know, you you win the final two nil, the next year you want to win the final three nil. You just you know, it's that old yeah, you know, you, you're just never happy, you wanna something else. Whereas when you support smaller teams, when you if you have a bit of a cup run, it's it's a brilliant feeling and you could even go to a away game and lose mm. in your cup run and but you've had a good run and you you won't be crying, you'll be at the end singing and thinking that it's been yeah. it's gone well, you know, it's you've had a good cup run. Okay, listen, there's a couple more on this page I want to get to before we get to the the good part in the magazine, which um is just coming up as well. So the six six Yes. So yep. Chris, Chris Thompson from Hove and Sussex reckons that FIFA's decision to limit a goalkeeper to just six seconds in possession of the ball is asking for trouble. And Greavesy agrees and suggests he'd like to see the back pass banned altogether. Uh, which for me right. for me is the best rule change in my lifetime was the, the back pass rule. It was that yeah. for me that, that just changed so much that was negative about football. So I'm in agreement with Greavesy there. Next one here is Sack Mac. So Brian Swigan from Kirkcaldy and Fife writes, after two seasons without a trophy, Celtic cannot allow Billy McNeil to remain as a manager for a minute longer. Do you know that, that, that photograph of him looks like he's an author's picture? Looks like that's <laughs> in, the, in the back yeah. of his novel. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that does have that look to it. So Greavesy replies, although Aberdeen have emerged as a major force in Scotland, Rangers and Celtic expect to win at least one trophy every year. Their managers accept the job in that understanding. McNeil is not delivering the goods at Celtic and I fear his time could be running out. So as a spoiler, Billy McNeil will be sacked by Celtic this very month. Right. So we're going to move on a couple of pages here to the main event. Hmm. And there we go. So this is pages 38 and 39. And it's going up. Oldham Athletic versus Sheffield Wednesday. So Oldham Athletic and Sheffield Wednesday meet on the last day of the season, with both teams already promoted to the first division. West Ham were on top at the point and were to face Notts County at Upton Park in the final game of the season. Now over the two pages, Shoot talked to Oldham keeper John Hallworth and Sheffield United skipper Nigel Pearson. So the first article here is, who's John going to call? Ghostbusters. With nearly men Oldham now heading back for the first division, Keeper John Hallworth has set himself a new target, and a spooky one at that. 
He says, I want to join the Ghostbusters, proclaims the Boundary Park goalie. Or should that be goalie with an H? That's It's better if you see that written down. And it's still, when I say better, it's still rubbish. The Ghost Hallworth refers to is Scottish international star Andy Gorham. His Latix predecessor, who delighted the Oldham faithful, but he continues to frighten the life out of the man currently in possession of number one jersey. Hallworth explains, Everyone knows our manager Joe Royal is harsh on goalies. He openly admits it, and the fans can see it for themselves when he analyses matches on TV. He always gives the keeper a hard time. Now this is because he thinks he had the best keeper there ever was when Andy Gorham was here before joining Hibs. Every every other number one has to live up to Andy's standards all the time. But I don't even remember him because I was playing at Ipswich when he was making a name for himself here. I hardly saw him in action, but I feel like I know him very well indeed. His ghost is haunting me all the time. A bit dramatic there. So John's season didn't start too promisingly as Joe Royal had signed another keeper, John Keeley, from Brighton and he found himself in the youth team for the pre-season games. But just before the start of the new season, Keeley injured his finger and Holworth took the chance in style to make a string of impressive displays. His career has been interrupted by serious injury and a bout of glandular fever and he was left out of Oldham's Littlewoods Cup final last season. He says, so much has happened to me in the past that I am really making the most of the best season of my career. Just to be on the safe side though, I've been in touch with the local toy shop and ordered a Ghostbusters outfit. Now the article shows a photo of John in action having just launched a kick out and he's got quite a balletic pose or form to his technique. There's a really straight legs, arms following through, power balance and a good look of grit and determination on his face. So he's really giving that baller eight punt. Now, just a quick profile of John. Uh, he was born in October 1965 in Stockport. I think um previous person we looked at was Stockport as well, wasn't there? Now, yeah, uh, Warrest, yeah. Yeah, and so he started at Ipswich Town 1983-89, where he made 45 appearances in that time in the league. And he was on loan to Swindon, Bristol Rovers, Fulham, before he signed for 75000 to Oldham in 1989, where he spent... He spent the next eight years, eight seasons, and he played 174 league games there before moving on to Cardiff City and then Newport County and finishing up at Bangor City. Now, one of his most notable games at Cardiff occurred in December 1999 away at Cambridge United. Cardiff had picked up three red cards and were reduced to eight men. Cambridge were awarded a late penalty, but Hallworth saved from Martin Butler to help his side secure an unlikely 0-0 draw. That is a pretty good one to remember. Down to eight men and saving a penalty to get the draw. And they will draw against eight men. Yeah. Well, he he was on the side with it. Was he not on the side with the... Oh, sorry, Rat. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Michelle. So, so, yeah, sorry. He, he was with Cardiff, who picked up three red cards against Cambridge. Right, sorry. Yeah, big pardon, Rat. Yeah, that's a notable achievement. Yeah. You talk about the, the back pass rule coming in mm-hmm. on that previous letter. Um the, all the goalers I've seen, uh, the Oldham goalers are teams playing for the other team. He's he's one of the worst goalkeepers I've ever seen with the ball at his feet when right. he can't pick it up. He he's left footed as that picture shows, but he was atrocious at, at kicking the ball. You know, on the on the hoof when mm-hmm. he got it like passed back to him, and he had to control it and get rid of it. Absolutely terrible. Yeah, well, he he made he made quite a few appearances after 123 games for Cardiff City, so he's he's done okay 
Yeah, it was more. it was a good keeper, a good mm. shot stopper. Yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah, I remember the, I remember the time when the rule came in playing football as well, and it was just the, the, there would always be somebody in the park when the pass back would go to the keeper, and somebody would shout, "He can't pick it up! He can't!" Because people were still coming to terms with it. So yeah, yeah. the keeper's looking at it going, can I pick it up, can I pick it up? And so it was just setting panic in. It was yeah. absolutely fascinating. So on, on the, the, the other article on the page is Owls on the Prowl. So this is Nigel Pearson, who's captain of Sheffield Wednesday, and he says, strange as it may seem, playing away from home has proved much easier for us this season because teams are more prepared to open up and come at us. At Hillsborough, our opponents have tended to make life more difficult for us by putting so many men behind the ball. No matter who it is, if they go away from here with a point, they're happy. I would never class myself as a ball-playing defender. I'm still an old-fashioned centre-back, but when you're in a team which knocks a ball around the way we do, you learn to adapt. And there's a little, well, I say a little, there's an article on Joe Royal as well. So the olden boss, Joe Royal, is the second-longest-serving manager in the Football League, and he's finally achieved the first division goal he's worked towards for nine years. The man who turned down the chance to work for Man City says, It's been a long time coming, but we're absolutely thrilled. We always knew that 80 points and 8 away wins would get us up, and that's been our target from the off. After all the stick we've taken about our plastic pitch, giving us an unfair advantage, it was nice to clinch promotion on grass at Ipswich, and I'm looking forward to taking <laughs> on the likes of Liverpool and Arsenal on the real stuff next season. He says, <laughs> he says teams complain about switching to plastic when they play us, but that only happens once a year. We have to change the grass twenty three times. I like I like that when he's you know he's saying that yeah other teams only have to come here once, but we have to go to grass twenty three yeah. times. I thought that was a, a wee clever way of sort of throwing it back in their faces. Yeah, what a lot of teams did as well is left left the grass long for when we played them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's because of this carpet I spoke about. Obviously, the ball just rolled across it. Whereas yeah, yeah. when we played away, the the grass would be you know they'd leave it longer than normal. So so we, but we're a skillful team at this point. So we kind of were okay on any on any surface. Yeah, yeah. But the, the proof's in the pudding. I mean, it, it didn't really affect you that much then, did it? The fact no. that you won. So. No. Another picture there from the uh, the Rumble <laughs> Cup final from '91 yeah, yeah, as well. So they right. got the they got the money's worth from the photographer that day, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, ching ching for the for the the photographer that day. Yeah. Uh, Joe Royal just says the players who got us up deserve the chance to try and keep us up there, and I have no doubts that most of them will do okay in the first division. We have gathered friends, money, respect, and esteem in recent years, but now we really have something to show for our efforts. I like that. So Joe Royal was born in April 1949 in Liverpool. And his career was Everton from 66 to 74, where he made 232 league appearances. He was a a striker. He scored 102 goals there in the league. He then moved to Man City between 74 and 77, making just under 100 league appearances, scoring 23 goals. After that, Bristol City, 101 league appearances, 18 goals. And he finished up at Norwich in 1982. He made six England cap, he had six England caps, scoring two goals there as well, and his managing career started off at Oldham 82 to 94 moved to Everton, 94 to 97 Man City, 98 to 2001, Ipswich Town 2002 to 2006, and he finished up Oldham 2009 as a player, he won the Football League First Division for Everton in 69-70 as well as the Charity Shield the season 70 for Man City, won the League Cup in 76. As manager, won the second division with Oldham 
1991 this season and uh, he was the League Cup runner-up the previous season. For Everton, he's won the FA Cup in 94-95 and the Charity Shield in 95. And for Man City, he's, it's the Football League set division playoffs in 1999 and the Football League first division runner-up in 1999-2000. Now, a spoiler, as it happens, just about this, this game, the last game of the season, West Ham lost 2-1 at Upton Park on the last game of the season to leave the title open for Oldham to step in if they could win against Wednesday. Unfortunately, Wednesday took a lead after just two minutes and went further ahead just after half-time. But Ian Marshall pulled one back before Paul Bernard set up a huge finish to the game with 10 minutes left. As the game was deep into injury time, Oldham were awarded a penalty and Neil Redfern stepped up to slot the kick away and spark huge celebrations among the home support as the Latics took the title in the last minute of the last game of the season. Now let's talk about that, shall we? Hmm. Yeah, I wasn't there. I was oh. in uh, Europe. <laughs> ah. no, I missed it. It was when we were in Europe for the whole of May 91. So, um, yeah, I missed it. Were you not in a bus? Were you not in a bus watching a recorded video of it, taking your clothes off? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've watched the video several times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, worn, worn the video out. Um, the, the thing about the club videos, because it was a club video in those days, it wasn't on TV. Mm. There's, there's only one camera. So it was pretty basic footage of the whole 90 minutes yeah. at that time you could you could hire the videos from the club shop for, for yeah. the season and watch the games back but they, they actually are very they were very dull watching them back which i used to hire them but with the just the one camera and mm. uh they used local radio commentary put onto it so the people from the radio would be just be talking all the time <laughs> over yeah. the footage with just the one camera so uh, not very exciting footage if you were remotely neutral, but yeah, for me, absolutely brilliant. But it, but it, it, the sort of bit of a shame about that period is that team that played brilliant football that got us promoted on the AstroTurf. It basically broke up, or Joe Royal broke it up, probably knowing full well that to stay in the top division, he had to bring some hard-assed kind of um, longer-standing pros like uh, Graham Sharp. He he joined us around that time and. Um, like I said, people like Warrest, Neil Redfern, who scored the winning penalty, never kicked a ball for us again. Um, Richie, Andy Richie, was very whose goals were very prominent in getting us promoted. Uh, had had a bad back injury, and he'd never really played that much once we got in the top division. So um, it was the end of an era, even though it was meant to be the springboard of going forward. We ultimately were a small team. Uh, punching above our weight, we got in the top division for three seasons. Um, then we got relegated, and uh, two seasons after we got relegated again, and then spent 23 seasons in Division Three, or what is now League One. And then we've now been in Division Four for two seasons. So you could almost argue going up really un- undid us. Yeah. So, in terms of Oldham's greatest team. Would that be that season, or would it be, you know, one or two of the seasons in the Premier League? Would Would you class that as your your, your best team? Um, I missed a lot of games around this time because the band had kind of taken off. So um, I, I did bend over backwards to get into games, but some games like this game against Sheffield Wednesday, I just I just couldn't get there. But what I saw was good. We were really good in nineteen ninety one. We were really good in eighty nine ninety. Probably, probably even better in 89-90 when we had two good cup runs in the League Cup and the FA Cup. Um, but 
it all started in 86, 87, when we almost got promoted in 87. So basically from 86 to 91, which is probably four seasons on the AstroTurf, we did play, we had a brilliant team. And, you know, a lot of players came and went in that period, but um, so it wasn't the same nucleus at the time, but the team evolved in that period. But Joe Royal had them playing really well and he, he became... You know, by that point, he'd been the second longest serving manager in the league, which mm-hmm. I don't know who would have been serving longer than him at that time. Would it be, would it be George Graham, maybe? Um, or maybe somebody in, in the lower leagues. But um, Are you a grady at Crewe? All right, OK. Maybe. Uh, yeah, possibly, quite possibly. So, um, yeah, it, we were good. It was really enjoyable every time we went for... A good five seasons but it did start in 86 and it, it kind of ended in 91 and I, you know I went quite a lot when we we're in the top division for three years because uh, the band kind of had a bit of a hiatus so I managed to go to a lot of games um, when we we're in the top division and we got some right spankings you know United beat us 6-3 at all at Boundary Park, Liverpool beat us 3-0 um, you know we we it wasn't particularly in the top division. It was good that we were there, but hand on heart, it wasn't as enjoyable as when we were beating Wolves 6-0 on the AstroTurf on a Friday night mm. and we were playing liquid football. Yeah, yeah. So so, so Joe Royal must be seen as a bit of a, a legend at the club. Absolutely, yeah. And it was interesting, uh, I'm sure like a lot of older fans, forget that he did come back right at the end of his managerial career in 2009. We'd had a bit of a hiccup with... John Sheridan as manager, they, he took the team out on a, a night out in the middle of the season to to watch the dogs and they all ended up having a massive fight, the players, <laughs> and Sheridan consequently lost his job because of that. And then they brought Joe Roll back in for the last eight games of the season and he, I think he won one out of eight. But, he, I mean, it wasn't his team, he was just come back for the for the vibe factor. But, uh, but yeah, he'll be remembered for, for taking that team as far as he possibly could. Um, and when he left to go to Everton in 94, uh, I don't think anybody was too sad because we, we were languishing in what was uh, league, well, the championship now. Uh, we were languishing mid-table and it looked like we were we were nosediving in all reality. And, and we did and we were and we did. But he is regarded as a legend for what he did because when he first took over, we signed him, incidentally, uh, he played for Norwich, but we signed him as a striker. Uh, but we sacked Jimmy Frizzle, who'd been managing us for 12 years before Joe Royal. We, we sacked Jimmy Frizzle and then Joe Royal got the manager's job, even though he'd, we'd actually signed him as a striker. Never kicked a ball for us, but managed us for 12 seasons. But it was quite interesting. I've been followed Oldham from like 1972 or whatever for the first 20 years or something of following Oldham. We'd only ever had uh, two managers Jimmy Frizzle and Joe Royal. And then when Royal left in 94, so yeah, I've been following Oldham for 20 seasons. I'd only ever seen one managerial change in 20 years, which mm. is quite quite interesting, really. And ever since then, we've had virtually a manager a season. In yeah. fact, recently, we've, we've not had a player of the season. We've had our own manager of the season award because <laughs> one season we had six managers recently. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a bit too. They, they write the manager's name on the on on his office in chalk. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm going to I'm going to leave the the magazine now. So I'm I'm just wanting to have a little shout out here. So on the podcast, we 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 team up with a charity partner for each season, 
Um, we Our charity partner this season is the Western Bartonshire Community Food Share. So I'm just going to read a little bit out as to what they do. So this right. is a this is a charitable organisation that provides various services and support to the local community, including the following. The school uniform bank, school holiday brunch bags, food provisions, Christmas toy bank, cooking and growing lessons and a baby bank. Now they provide essential support to the local community and supporting individuals and families and we will be looking to support them any way we can through the podcast. This will include drives for donations of food, money and support in the form of volunteers. We'll also be raising awareness of the group to highlight the work that they do but also to ensure that families and individuals who can benefit from the group are aware of these vital services. Now, we will hear a lot more about the Western Dumbartonshire Community Food Share in our future podcasts and hope to invite Claire Coyle onto the show to discuss the work that they do and how we can support them. You can follow them on Western Bartonshire Community Food Share, that's Dunbartonshire with an N, uh, Food Share Group on Facebook or on Western Bartonshire Community Food Share.co.uk for the website. Alternatively, you can also keep an eye on our Twitter accounts at shoottb underscore podcast and at scotsfootycards for updates and news on our charity partner. So we're going to work a lot with them and give them some exposure and support and help any way we can. And one of the ways we, we do that, Graham, is each podcast we, we try and put a goodie bag together. So it'll include the original magazine that we've discussed tonight. So that, that'll be in the goodie bag and we're going to throw in... <laughs> other things isn't well things like if we can books and and if, if you know it'd be great if maybe if there's any old items that you have it can maybe sign or something we could throw that in as well and what yeah, we that'd be great because what we do what we do is with the goodie bag people who listen to the podcast they can essentially for every pound they donate it gives them a virtual raffle ticket and at the end of the season we will make a draw and whoever wins from the raffle gets the goodie bag and from the money that we raise, then half of it will go to the the food share um, at West Dunbartonshire Community Food Share, and the other half will go to the the podcast to keep it running. Saying that yeah. between between us, we've we've been doing this two seasons now, and we've had one donation in all that time. So we're hoping to improve on that. So I think Tom and I could probably do a bit more to try and push that. But yeah. you know, it's a case of if we can't provide them with financial support then we'll, we'll, we'll definitely provide them you know support in terms of um, getting their message out there like making people aware of them try to get people involved to help them and things like that so you know anything we can do to that so the other shout outs that we'd like to do we'd like to sp- say a special thanks to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for the use of Story of the Blues and the music for our show so Story of the Blues is the, the intro and outro in the, in the right. show and you can catch up with Pete on petewiley.co.uk you can check out the details of any upcoming gigs and new music and we'd also like to thank our producer Diane Jarden for all the great work and support that she gives us and that's transmissionroom.co.uk and you can book music recording and rehearsal facilities in Clyde Bank and it's absolutely spot on. If you have a need for that, then definitely go to transmissionroom.co.uk. So before before we say our goodbyes and we go, what's happening with yourself at the moment? What do you have in the fire at the moment? <laughs> it's all quiet, isn't it, during the um, uh, coronavirus Uh I work in the music industry for a concert promoter, SJM Concerts. Uh, The band's obviously very quiet at the moment. There's no plans to do anything with the group. Um, But yeah, there's no concerts 
uh, going on. So uh, yeah, just it's all very quiet. So yeah, just um, staying at home and uh, spend a lot of time with my parents. Mm. Um, they're uh, getting a bit elderly now, both in the nineties. So right. just looking after them and uh, yeah, just being at home with the family, which which is fine really because I've done over the years I've done a lot of travelling. So mm-hmm. um, it, there's a, there is a plus side to the uh, to the to the enforced downtime yeah well before before the we get the pod when the podcast goes out before that happens and i'm putting the page together i'll get in contact and i'll get any links to anything that you want to promote or to link to you know any of your your websites the promotions company you're talking about there yeah. we'll, we'll get links to that and we'll put it on there as well so on that listen i'd just like to thank you very much again for 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 joining us it's been great it's, it's great to to catch up you know it, again yeah. it's one of these situations where i feel as though i, I know you and um, we've, we've followed each other <laughs> yeah. for so long and it's been great i'm i'd absolutely love you know if you are over this way or if i'm if i'm over oldham way or whatever then i'd love to i'd love yeah, to meet you up give us and, a shout yeah, yeah that'd be great let's hook up for sure yeah and uh yeah if we're, if we're over your way and we'll come and uh, i'll give you a shout if i'm coming over yeah absolutely brilliant so I, I hope you've enjoyed the 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 little look back at the shoot magazine as well and yeah it's been the, great it's the, just just like um your your twitter page comes to life in yeah. 1991 it's uh <laughs> it's been good nice to meet you as well tom yeah and yeah. you Graham. nice to nice to chat with you yeah Love, I love I love all the old stuff, the facts and figures. It's always uh, yeah. always good. Great stuff. And uh, let me know if you find uh, Lemmy Robertson. Yeah, Lemmy I'll, Robertson. I'll be, I'll be straight on it. I'll be straight on it. Yeah, um, he's apparently he's a financial advisor somewhere in Scotland. Right. Okay. Well, that that's going to be a hard job in Scotland, isn't it? Part of the money. I said that. You know, that's that's what happens with reading too much of Jimmy Greaves. You start getting drawn into that world. Well, let's yes. see if we can get him on then, Graham. We'll maybe have you back if we can. Talk oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, quality, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, and, and also, listen, I'd like to say thank you, Tom, for being Tom, as we do. Thank you, yeah. Andy. Thank you once again, Graham, for, for joining us on Shoot the Breeze. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And for everyone who's listening to you, I hope you've enjoyed it. Continue to, to download the podcasts and share it and, and get involved in the our new charity partner as well. But we'll be we'll be bombarding you with links and information over the over the coming weeks, months, years, however long it needs to happen. So until the next time, let's shoot the breeze. <laughs>